Welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. We're at episode 27 this week, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Normally, Scott and I pick a topic for the show, and each can prepare the list of 10. This week, we're mixing it up a little bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Our first segment is going to be one whole list in and of itself. And then the second segment is going to be a different list. So um, when we're when we're talking about the items on our list, we kind of go over, you know, why we feel they fit the list, why they're meaningful to us, some interesting facts about them, things like that. Um, and then we go uh, and argue about which things are going to uh, which, you know, what's the order of ranking that it should be on our unified list between the two of us. Uh, so we, we mixing up a little bit this week, doing a, a double header of lists as it were, you know, we like trying out new things here. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we did say it idea, was going to be directors. I believe that yes, was our the, lead in from the previous episode. Yeah. Our, our, our idea was we're going to find, uh, directors and, uh, and, and do some, some rankings here. Part of the reason we're doing two this week is it's really hard to find a director that both of us have seen 10 movies from. It turns out, also, it's really hard to find a director that both of us have seen five movies from. Yeah. Harder that, than either of us anticipated. Yeah. I, I guess I've seen a lot of movies, but apparently yeah. not many from the same director. Or yeah, many I, that I, I, I enjoy tell you. is like another level sure. here. I don't know that we really had any many other alternatives. I, I like I we were going over options and there are so many of those like I've seen four from that person. We we did yeah, that for I like an hour. Like, yeah, we maybe did. more. We could have just watched a movie and I mean, yeah, honestly, <laughs> the, the bottom line here. Right. We landed on two directors. Right. Yep. We yep. also specifically said, let's not do George Lucas. Let's not do Steven Spielberg. Well, Lucas hasn't even directed five. So, OK, fair enough. But- But either way, we we purposefully avoided stuff that we've already kind of discussed because it we didn't want it to feel redundant. Right. We've talked a lot about a lot of Spielberg movies on this show already. Not. And sure. And, you know, we we thought it'd be more interesting to talk about other stuff. So we banned we banned Spielberg from this pick list. Maybe someday we'll do a Spielberg one. We'll see. Maybe that one's probably one of the only ones where we actually could do a top 10. Right. Maybe maybe the only one as of now. He's directed approximately three thousand eight hundred and seventy two movies. So, you know, so you're going to you're going to just have seen some of those. I feel like that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but nope, not at all. So uh, we're going to start here with Christopher Nolan. Wait, wait, wait. All right, folks. Hold on a minute. Here's the deal. We were overly ambitious, and we told ourselves this was going to be a short episode. Uh, whatever it is. Um, we should clap and get started. Because I still think this is going to be a shorter episode. I don't know. We'll see. We're fools. Because we figured there'd be a lot of overlap, and therefore less to say. 
but it turns out we both had a lot to say. And therefore, the originally intended portion of this being for Quentin Tarantino films is going to have to wait. It's not going to happen in this episode. So if you're looking yeah, for that gonna, portion that next time, in particular, tune into the next episode because that'll be where that segment actually occurs. And we will attempt to learn our lesson when it comes to time management and talking. Turns out the guys who started a podcast like talking about stuff a lot. Who knew? We, we get pretty passionate during this conversation. And uh, no, before you ask, this is not us inceptioning. Incepting? Incept. We are not doing an inception thing. This is we're not uns- us. We're uncepting. We are, we are accepting. Ooh. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Kind of like when you get an invite to a wedding. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. All right. Okay. Inside joke. That was terrible. Inside jokes are a bad idea on a podcast, especially when they rely on visual cues. I'm sorry. Accepting. Not the same thing. Anyway, bottom line here, we're not going to discuss the Quentin Tarantino portion of the films. So anytime we mention that in this episode, which I don't actually think is a lot of times, ignore us because we're lying to you. We were foolish and rosy-eyed and you know what? Just trust us that it's still worth a listen. It's a fun conversation. And there's some pretty passionate points that I think you will get a kick out of. So, And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Christopher Nolan. Uh, one of my favorite directors. Um, maybe my favorite one overall. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's, I, I, it's I, hard I, to I disagree. I have made a ranked list of that. Fair, I, oh, yeah. I really enjoy. Maybe that's what we should have done. Ranked list of direct. No, no, this it's <laughs> too late. It's too late. So I've seen... I've seen more of his movies than you have, as what we discussed. Um, Brag about I it. I have seen uh, nine of the 13. Notably here, 12. neither of us have seen... 12. Right, sorry. Nine of the 12. I misspoke. Um, neither of us have seen Oppenheimer yet. Um, that is, True. at the time that we record this, that has been in theaters for uh, a couple of weeks. Now. Three three weeks, I want to say. Uh, it's definitely not. It's definitely oh. not a few months. I thought it's been a month at least. Okay. No, maybe. Perhaps. I don't know. It's currently in Perhaps. theaters either way. It is actively in theaters. Both and... of us wish to see it, but oh, yeah, we'll not sure. be seeing it anytime soon. Probably. About a month is what we're looking at. for the Unless I can convince my family that I have work meetings and then sneak away for three hours to watch a movie, which, you know what? I, I might actually be doing that. I just don't go to theaters anymore. So you know, my wife doesn't I'll watch listen it when to it comes this podcast. <laughs> How dare she? My wife doesn't either. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. Except for when, except for when she's on. We got, we gotta get your wife on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about that later. Okay. Um. So, so yeah, Christopher uh, Nolan's Nolan. number one. Yes. He's he's our first one, and then we're going to be going into one Quentin Tarantino uh, in the second segment here. So, uh, and we've each seen six of his movies, I believe. I've only seen five Tarantinos. Okay. Well, I've seen just six, but, um, I believe we do have, um, four overlapping there. So there's, 
there is some some overlap, I think, between what we've seen. Since these director, since these lists of movies aren't super long, I'm just gonna before we get into Nolan here, I'm gonna do a quick rundown of what his movies even are. Yeah, go for it. Um, in order, uh, chronological. First order. movie was was following, which mm-hmm. I've not seen. No, nope. I don't think either of us have seen that one. Uh, Memento is next. Have seen. Um, Yep, same. Uh, Insomnia is his third film. I've not seen that either. No, Robin Williams is in that one. From what I understand, it's it's kind of weird and complex, but I don't know if it's good or not. I really don't have a feel for this movie. Yeah, I, 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 you, you hear people talk less about those two, I feel like, compared to all of his other movies. What, Following um, and Insomnia? And Insomnia, yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't even know Following was a movie two. that he did, but anyway. So uh, then you got Batman Begins. I've, I've seen all the rest of these up to Oppenheimer. So uh, Batman Begins, 2005, uh, The Prestige after that, uh, The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, and then Oppenheimer. I've not seen Dunkirk nor Tenet, but I have a feeling we won't be discussing them too much based on yeah, what well, uh, little I do know from them. We will see. I have opinions on all of these movies sure. that I've seen. I mean, I ended and up we're ranking we're gonna get into some of all those. seven of the ones that I saw because, you know, the really. top five, I, I was like, well, I, I might not. as well throw six and seven on there. It's, it's not that difficult. Well, we have, uh, when we get into the list here, Scott, we'll start with your number five. My number five on the Christopher Nolan's top films list oh before we actually jump in sorry cut you off uh is coming soon yo there is going to be spoilers oh yeah in this episode we cannot get away from that um i've tried to pull back a little bit from spoiling too much where i can but some of the stuff i really love about some of these movies is we're gonna have to get into spoilers so uh we'll try to get into the more spoilery stuff later in the conversation for each end list item so if you're especially sensitive, you know, maybe try to skip past that specific item on the list or but the just, just fair warning. Yeah. Or yeah. Just the general conversation on that movie in particular. Um, and it's, it's bound to happen. I, I mean, I've got spoilers on my notes yeah. here as well. We it's it's going sure be to be discussing. So, uh, so my number five is, and this was a surprise, right? Because I, I didn't even know he directed this. Surf Ninjas, number five on wow, my list. Remarkable. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. It's uh turns out he did it under a pseudonym, right? And uh it was actually him I, that did Surf I didn't Ninjas. Think he wasn't even directing yet. Now you know why Surf Ninjas is one of the best movies of all time. It turns out Christopher Nolan. Now you know I didn't even know that he had worked with Leslie Leslie Nielsen before. Yep. They they're very close. You didn't know that? He's like a mentor to him. Good to know. I mean, Christopher Nolan's a mentor to Chris Nolan or Chris Nolan's a mentor. Christopher Nolan mentored Leslie Nielsen on his acting career. Yeah, totally. Remarkable. Remarkable. Um, My real number five is Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Wow. Unexpected. Is it? Very. Is it? Uh, For me, yes, absolutely. I I am genuinely surprised. Well, I haven't seen Dunkirk. I haven't seen Tenet. There's only two movies that ranked lower for me. Dark Knight oh, Rises, okay. edging okay. in at number five. Interesting. Oh. This is not on my list, to be clear. Wait, wait until you hear more of my takes. Well, no, you probably have. Never mind. We'll come back to this. 
Dark, really, Dark Knight Rises is not on your list at all? Hey, this movie's not great. What? This is easily the worst of the Batman movies. No, it's better oh, than Batman yeah. Begins. Uh, we're yes. going to be talking about that. Uh, yeah, well, it's shocking. Uh, yeah, my number five, Dark Knight Rises. 2012, two hours, 45 minute runtime. I mean, it's no uh, surprise here. The cast, right? Christian Bale, Tom Hardy, Anne Hathaway, Gary Oldman again. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, pretty much in every no- Christopher Nolan movie, it seems like. Yeah, we're um, going to be talking about some of the same actors a lot of times. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes when directors find actors that they love, they mm-hmm. build roles and imagine those actors playing those roles. And sure, I think Christopher Nolan is just in love with Christian Bale is, is the bottom line there. So in this movie, right, it's eight years after the death of Gotham City, District Attorney Harvey Dent and Bane, a former member of the League of Shadows, leads an attack on a CIA plane over Uzbekistan to abduct nuclear physicist Dr. Leonid Pavel and fake Pavel's death in the crash. But meanwhile, organized crime has been eradicated in Gotham by legislation and the Dent Act, as they called it, giving expanded powers to the police, which, you know. If there's one thing that police need, it's more power. Uh, Police Commissioner James Gordon has kept Dent's killing spree as Two-Face a secret and allowed the blame for his crimes to fall on Batman. Now, Bruce Wayne, still mourning the death of Rachel Dawes, spoilers, has become a recluse and Wayne Enterprises has stagnated. Bane enlists businessman John Daggett to buy Bruce's fingerprints. So, very, very interesting sequel. and in many ways, nearly impossible to compete with The Dark Knight, right? I, as far as this movie is concerned, what I like most about it is how it takes a, an even darker look at, at Batman, which I know Batman already is the dark side. I mean, DC is the dark versus Marvel. Batman is the dark. I don't know about that. Okay, well, traditionally speaking, most people would agree that DC is a darker look than Marvel is. Marvel is more family-friendly approachable, especially with the MCU. If you want to say MCU versus DC uh, Cinematic Universe, absolutely. Um, Comics, absolutely not. No, we're not talking comics right now. Okay. So, that being said, in in this movie in particular, uh, Batman has become a bit of a recluse, like I said, is trying to battle back to save the city, and I think it was what I would consider an acceptable sequel to the original. And so the problem here is, I don't feel particularly strongly about this movie, I just feel particularly strongly about number seven on my list and number six i thought it edged out batman begins so okay yeah but what are your thoughts on dark knight rises you've seen it uh i think anne hathaway's pretty good Catwoman. um yep you know we've got our uh, uh, i'm gonna skip over um the people who have been in all the movies because we're gonna talk about that more as we go you know list items here um tom hardy's depiction of Bane while dramatically better than the Bane, the, the cartoonish Bane in Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. um, legendarily awful movie. Um, 
this Bane's still not great. Um, like I voice. like Tom Hardy. I like Tom Hardy a lot. The voice is weird. You can't understand what he's saying half the time. Yeah. Um, this is a subtitle movie for sure. Um, it very questionable, I would say, is this the mo- this movie's take on Bane. Uh, Marion Cotillard as Talia al Ghul. Questionable take on Talia al Ghul also, I think. Not, uh, not a great version there. The Joseph Gordon-Levin stuff, the Gordon-Levitt stuff is fine. But then them trying to shoehorn in, like, actually, he's Robin is yeah. his real name. And it's like, okay, this is stupid. Um, the movie's got a lot of problems, I think. It's not a bad movie by any means. Um, but it's very, very messy. Uh, and it is just, uh, if, in my mind, nowhere near the quality of the other two Batman films. In, in this trilogy specifically, if you want to do, if we were to say do a ranking of every Batman movie, who's to say how that would turn out? But this one uh, would rank uh, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, probably. Like I said, I'm not going to bat for this one. Not, not too much, right? I enjoyed it. It was action-filled. I thought it was a fine sequel. It was not... So this is weird, right? Because in a lot of trilogies, the first movie is the best. The second movie is usually a bit rough, and then the third movie is better than the second, at least, but no, not usually as good as the first. And that pattern kind of follows in a lot of trilogies. Not always, but a lot of trilogies. And in this case, I feel like it is nowhere near anything like that, right? This is where I would rank two obviously number one and then three slightly edging out one and it's one was good at the time because you know batman begins christopher nolan was doing his uh he was doing a different movie and he was approached i think for batman begins and that was when he decided to pursue that never thought he would actually do a superhero movie let alone batman and you know it was fairly successful i just there's certain parts of that movie and we can get into that because i have a feeling you're going to be discussing it here pretty quickly but let's say very quickly yeah and near imminently why why don't we why don't we skip the rest of my stuff here and just go to your number five quick quick shout out here on bat on dark knight rises before we move on uh uh, very minor role in this movie is uh one christopher judge most notably of stargate fame uh played teal in that show uh have shout him out wherever i see him because i love chris judge hmm. he's very good uh so we're gonna do we're gonna shout do out to the score for here. that movie as well because i do like the score in the third batman is that a, is that a hans, hans zimmer one i think uh, yes i believe it is he does a lot of the does a lot of the nolan ones um so we're gonna we're gonna do something a little bit differently here with my number four and five and we're just gonna talk about both of those at once here Uh, because my number five is the dark Knight, and my number four is batman begins i mean do you do you want me to spoil where dark Knight ranks for me because at this point right it's yeah let's hit it let's hit it uh dark Knight for me is number one on my list Wow. okay interesting so we have some we have some significantly varying opinions here on the chris nolan batman trilogy uh, so uh, I'm gonna start with Batman because this is why I want to do number four and number five because I feel like I can yeah, discuss this better, kind of talking through these movies sequentially. 
So Batman Begins, my number four. Uh, I'm going to say this is definitely my most controversial pick this episode. Um, yes, I rank Batman Begins over The Dark Knight. To be clear, Shocking. the gap between my enjoyment of these movies is pretty slim. I think most people rank The Dark Knight higher. Um, you know, obviously you do. Uh, but we're going to start Oh yeah, with Batman Begins here. This is the movie that reinvents Batman, you know, not necessarily in the comics, but in the eyes of pop culture, you know, the, the on-screen depiction of Batman, this is a total reinvention of, and, but in, but what this movie does basically is it reestablishes him as probably the second most popular superhero out there behind, of course, Spider-Man, who has kind of always been the most popular superhero since Spider-Man came out. Um, so this is this movie came out pre MCU by a couple of years, right? Um, and so most of the other superhero movies coming out in this middling in this era are uh, like middling to awful, kind of very campy. You got like your Fantastic Four movies, and like uh, Superman Returns is coming out around then, and it's like okay. Ooh, is that the Chris Evans um, Fantastic Four movie where he's yes. Human Torch? Oh man, yep, that one. Those movies aren't that's good. That's a bit rough. Uh, like Ghost Rider is coming out around Ooh, this time, Nick and Cage. it's like like the a Flash. lot of just... wait, 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 no, is this Green Lantern? You said Green Lantern I... is around then. Ooh, that's rough. I want to say maybe a couple of years after this is Green Lantern, uh, but like you know, I, I saw I, I of course I, again the exception to this is of course Spider Man and this first couple X Men movies, um, but most of the other superhero stuff coming around around then is is way campier, way goofier. Um, and like you're you're also the batman franchise is the their last thing before this in in larger pop culture certainly comics are of course running this entire time in the background but the most recent batman before this is batman and robin 1988 or 1998 excuse me uh which is could not be more possibly different than this movie it made a good amount of money but it was it was a disappointment overall and basically put the batman franchise into a coma for years in that larger pop culture sense mm-hmm. so we have batman begins coming on the scene it's going for a darker grittier take on batman in an era where doing the darker grittier take was wasn't as played out as it is today it wasn't something that was being done a lot at that time some you know the batman begins isn't the first thing to do like a dark and gritty reinvention of a character but it, it it was not happening nearly as much then as it has in the what 18 years since this movie has come out i feel old saying this movie came out 18 years ago <laughs> uh but yeah so we have we have soon to be chris nolan regular uh actor killian murphy as scarecrow in this you know nolan regular michael kane in this uh as my personal favorite version of alfred um Mm-hmm. We're gonna, you know, again, we're going to get into some spoilers here. Uh, Liam Neeson is uh, the incorrect, incorrectly pronounced uh, character uh, Raz al Ghul in this movie. The character should be called Raish al Ghul uh, and is generally depicted in other versions of Batman. But this movie, this my, my biggest strike against this movie is they they say Raz al Ghul. It's petty, I know, but it bothers me. Uh, we have the fantastic Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and then, of course, Christian Bale in the titular role. Just a really stellar cast here. Yeah. Um, For what it's worth, that, Petty is a good look on you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I, 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 okay, I said my one criticism of, of this movie is that pronunciation. My other criticism of this movie and 
the all three of the Batman movies is the 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 Christian Bale Batman voice. He he tries a little too hard. You know, it's it's a little much. Do you agree? Mm, yeah, I, there's there's a few scenes in particular, like when he's interrogating the Joker in the Dark Knight. Where's the Joker? Yeah, it's a, it's a, and you're just it's like, a, it's a, all right. It's a little, it's a little much. It's I excessive. think. I don't think it's this. The, the internet likes to has meme definitely over up. time like oh, to meme yeah. things up and and say this is a horrible Batman voice. Blah blah. I don't think it's horrible. It's a little much though. I think. I, I think some of the other um, notable things of this movie. It's inspired by some of the darker, grittier comic runs um, on Batman, like The Long Halloween and Batman Year One. Um, this movie does a really good job kind of doing that new origin story and reinterpreting a lot of individual elements of the Batman universe. Um, uh, the, the Batmobile, for example, the Tumblr Batmobile that we see in these movies is so cool. <laughs> it's so good. Right? Yes. And would you want me to disagree with that? It's really good. So one of the interesting things I learned about this is, um, if if you're not familiar with the term uh, kit bashing, this is a um, uh, a term used in the uh, model building world, um, and that is how they kind of envisioned the Tumblr Batmobile. If you if you haven't seen the movie, it's a way more tank like version of the Batmobile versus kind of like the sleek long car that was uh, featured in a lot of older versions of of on screen sure. Batman stuff. Sure, we have the Hot Wheels um, car version. Sure. You know, uh, the so what, what a kit bash is, is when you take parts from multiple model kits and you assemble those into a single model to kind of modify it and create your own thing. That's what they did with pieces from different models and like plane sets and different things like that. I, I want to say the nose of a specific I don't remember what aircraft it was, but the nose of a specific aircraft model uh, was what they used as like the housing of the the rocket engines on the back of mm. the Batmobile in this. This is a really cool idea. Um, the, the, how they envisioned the design of it. Uh, this movie is also a radically different take on Gotham City than Batman had done before. Um, you know, they filmed the exterior Gotham stuff in uh, uh, multiple different cities. But kind of most notably, a lot of the street level stuff in these movies is filmed in Chicago. And so to me, Gotham in these movies has that Chicago feel more than anything else. As someone who lives uh, in Michigan, not super far from Chicago and has been to Chicago a lot of times, it, it really evokes that feel to me. So overall, I think that this is where this movie lands the most for me. Um. It does a tremendous job reinventing what Batman looks, sounds, and feels like on screen. It's really good front front to back. I don't have any major problems with the flow of the movie or anything like th- else like that. Um, it's just a really good cast, really good set of performances. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. get into the Dark Knight. Well, so that's no, right. Go ahead. Yeah, this is where part of it blurs for me, just in general, between Batman Begins and the Dark Knight. Having seen both of them many times and most of the time kind of in a back-to-back fashion when i went to see the dark knight in theaters i watched batman begins right before like finished it and then we're like okay it's time to go and we went and watched it and so my initial memories of the dark knight 
blur with Batman Begins. Okay. And as a result, I often have trouble differentiating which pieces of which characters happened in which portions of which movie. But I do remember succinctly that the development story and the overall feel of who Batman is, where he came from, right? This is the origin. This is the fear. This is bringing it all, tying it together. It was all really well done and tied up nicely with a bow and Batman begins. And then there's dialogue and parts of it that I'm like, wait, did that happen in Dark Knight or did that happen in Batman? Anyway, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, and I think based on your feedback, you'll agree with me, that, and this is a common sentiment that I read when I was doing the research for this part of it, at least. A lot of people view Batman Begins as, of the three movies, the best Batman movie. But a lot of people think, those same people think that The Dark Knight is the best movie of the three, but it's really a Joker movie, more than it is a Batman movie. And so are you saying that you actually like the movie itself or the Batman part of the movie itself more? I think the Batman Begins, I think that Batman Begins is a better film overall than The Dark Knight. Yeah, I, I can't agree with that. I think it's let's, a better... Let's get into I, why. I agree that Batman Begins is a better Batman film, but it is not a better film. Anyway, so, yeah, go ahead. The Dark Knight. Here's my core argument around The Dark Knight. Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is undeniably incredible. Sure. Right? Iconic. Uh, we've talked, we've talked in, in our last episode where we did Ranking of Jokers um, and one of our many lists um, that, you know, the Heath Ledger Joker to me is, you know, truly incredible. It's almost like a different character than a lot of other depictions of Joker are, but that doesn't diminish at all from the fact that in this movie, man, he just does a phenomenal job. Absolutely. Like anytime Joker is on screen in this movie, the film is absolutely riveting. I, I, I absolutely see, need to see what's happening next. Sure. I would, I think you could make a case that it is the single best performance out of any of the films we're just, we're going to discuss in today's episode. I don't think the rest of the movie measures up. Just about yeah. every other scene in the movie is fine. They just don't, in general, they just don't hit as hard as the stuff from Batman Begins to me. Like, Aaron Eckhart is a solid Two-Face, but he's so outshone in every single way that he could be by Heath Ledger uh, as the Joker. Um, so one of the things I want to get into here, you know, most folks are aware of Heath Ledger's tragic death before the movie came out. Um, mm -hmm. Commonly held belief, because he kind of disappears from this movie very abruptly. Um, a commonly held belief is that he died before he could finish doing all the work. Uh, that's not true at all. Uh, Nolan has confirmed that they had finished all of Heath Ledger's work before he died, and he didn't modify the story in the movie at all because of the death. Um, so he, but he just kind of blips out at, at one part of the movie. And then we have a very good chunk of the movie left that doesn't have any Joker in it. And they have Two-Face carry the weight of the story, the villain part of the film at that point. And it just doesn't, the, the quality of the film suffers as a result to me. It's not, I don't think it's Aaron Eckhart's fault, certainly. Um, but the, the climax of the movie ultimately like just doesn't hit as hard. It, it, this is a common problem. I think you see with superhero movies that, you know, we had so many movies for a long time and they've 
they've kind of gotten away from this more so in more recent years, but the multiple villain problem was a thing in superhero movies in the 2000s a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like Spider-Man 3, I think, is maybe the most notable example there where it's like, we didn't need three whole villains in this movie. You don't, you're not spending enough time on any of them to really make it work, you know? Um, and I think this movie suffers from that as well. You're I counting think the Sandman as a villain. Yeah. Sandman's absolutely, I mean, he, you know, he's a, okay. Pseudo-villain? He's, he's classically, yeah, he, he, you know, he, ha- he has more of a heart of gold, you might say than other Spider-Man villains and certainly other villains of that film, but he's doing bad stuff. Mm. He's not acting altruistically. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you know? sorry. Anyway, I, I digress. So I, I think this movie is a stronger movie if they don't try to do all the Two-Face stuff in it and you have, or maybe have Harvey Dent be a character, but like, do we really need the Two-Face transformation to happen in this movie? Um, I don't, it's, it, that stuff doesn't land for me as much. Um, again, I don't think this movie is bad in any way. I think it's a fantastic movie, but it's, it's again, it's messier than the, than Batman Begins is. It is stretching mm. to hold more things in it and i don't think it does as good of a job as the, the batman begins as of as being a tight concise story um hmm so that's that's why it gets to five for me and batman gets gets to four you know i i, I do want to call out some fantastic absolutely fantastic scenes in this movie you know, the bank heist at the beginning is so good. The 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 Joker with all the the cry, the, the the mob bosses the and stuff. Yeah. The, the, the pencil the pencil in the eye scene is incredible. Sure. Uh, the Gonna when they flipped the semi disappear. over, yep, they, they flipped they that whole semi did. over. Yep. That is extremely cool. Um, there's a lot of just excellent excellent scenes in this movie. And then you know when I go and rewatch it, as I've, I've watched this movie a bunch of times. It's just a bunch of scenes that it's like, oh yeah, there's this part. We gotta get through this part, like the part where he downloads the Batman surveillance states Gotham and wild wild abuse of power, and we're gonna download all of the phones into Batman's eyes. Sure, that I, that stuff just doesn't land for me. Um, just basically the last like half hour, twenty minute, twenty five minutes of this movie, just I don't think are as good as anything that's in 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 Batman Begins. That said, everything in this movie is better than everything in Dark Knight Rises. So, hmm. so I, I think you make some interesting points. I think that Heath Ledger's performance is so powerful that it carries it, it the weight of this entire movie on its shoulders and elevates it to that superior status, to the number one I, spot. I mean, it's, I, it's obviously we both know it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the point being... Any of those other discrepancies that you're talking about, I'm willing to either ignore or I actually enjoy or I, you know, don't mind at all because I get to see Keith Ledger's performance and the Joker and that whole story. I mean, the this is arguably one of the best superhero movies, bar none, of all time. It, it's For certainly sure. S tier, right? I mean, compared yep. to... Even all of the Marvel comic universe, I would put this in an S tier for sure. I, I would say if we were to perhaps do a top 10 superhero movies ever made, this would have to be on that list, I think. Sure. And okay, so let's let's go through a couple different things here because I've got some similar notes, right? Um, 
but they're more surrounding Ledger's performance because it just I cannot get it's it the out standout, of my mind. It's the standout thing of the movie for sure. It, the, I don't think much of else what's going on here is even notable enough to mention alongside that performance. Well, I have a couple of things that I enjoy that I want to mention anyway. So we have. Sure. Uh, it, did you know that Heath Ledger was actually the first choice to play the Joker? And I, I know a lot of people, critics and, you know, talking heads, when they heard that he was selected, they were very doubtful about this movie. It's cynical, even. That he had not done anything like this ever. No, not even any, anywhere close to it, right? But it was Christopher Nolan that said, when I heard he was interested in the Joker, there was never any doubt. You could just see it in his eyes. And he went on to say, people were a little baffled by the choice. It's true, but I've never had such a, a simple decision as a director. So he knew right from the start. And he had other people like Adrian Brody that had approached him and expressed interest in playing Joker. But nope, Heath Ledger was the only name on his list. So that, I think, from that perspective, Nolan gets additional credit in my mind as being somebody who can see beyond, right? He knows, he can tell when somebody's going to fit a role and be as good as they are. And I, I think it's no surprise that he keeps selecting a lot of common names and we're going to go through some of his other iconic castings here as well in some of the other conversation uh some of the other numbers on this list sure. um moving the, on to another part though uh did you also know that heath ledger really did keep a joker diary i did right that was uh because of his untimely death in you know january 2008 he was only 28 years old, which is very unfortunate. Um, R.I.P. His uh, performance as the Joker has been somewhat mythologized, right? And sure. the idea that he kept a secret Joker diary while getting into character almost sounds apocryphal. Um, but he actually did do that in preparation for the character. I mean, it included uh, various clipped art that he had. Um, I know. Alex, the main character from A Clockwork Orange, was uh, a pretty common theme, um, which I think lends to his performance as well. Uh, there were some notes, some lines from the script that he had recopied. Um, in 2013, I know his father revealed that the diary revealed the diary in a documentary and noted that his son did immersive work like this for pretty much every role, but he, he took it up a notch for the Joker. So I, I found that really interesting that there actually was a diary. I didn't know about that beforehand. I knew he was an immersive actor and I knew he took it very seriously. I didn't realize that there was such a, um, a document or a, a, a piece of history now that really lends to his mindset going into that performance. Um, and then some of the prosthetics, I think, People might already know this, but the reason that the character has the the tick, the facial tick of licking their lips is specifically because of the scar prosthetics that he was wearing. Mm -hmm. uh, the glue was wearing out between takes, and so he moistened it by licking his lips, and it made the takes last longer, and he didn't have to get it redone every 20 minutes. So It's creepy. 
Oh yeah. It's very it, effective. It would, it, it's funny how something like that works out, right? It's yeah. not intended for the character, but just kind of becomes part of the character. And then it becomes like, holy crap, this is real creepy. Um, and I did want to note some of my favorite quotes from this movie. Yeah, and, you know, one of the beginning ones by the Joker, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. And I, I mean, that's, that was great. I, I like the delivery on that one, too. Uh, and, of course, his, you want to know how I got these scars, which he explains several times, but changes the story every single time. Just adds more to the, the mysteriousness of the character. And specifically, Nolan didn't want his backstory and origin known. He wanted the Joker to exist in this movie as pure chaos, anarchy at its finest. And no real origin or backstory or justification is just he is pure chaos. And I thought that was very prominent and played to perfection, both with the acting and the script. Um, when they're doing the two boats strapped with bombs scene, mm -hmm. um, when that prisoner says, give it to me and I'll do what you should have did 10 minutes ago, I... I totally thought he was about to blow them up. I, I mean, I should have known, right? This, like, there's probably going to be some kind of a twist or different angle or perspective to it, but I didn't see that coming. So when he threw it out the window, I was like, okay, well. Um, the Harvey Dent quote, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I really, I enjoyed the descent into madness that is the Harvey Dent saga or the the mini arc in this movie and I, I think that quote is the perfect summary of everything that's happened to him for him with him you know since and correct me if i'm wrong he also appears in batman begins right he plays at least some role i don't think he's as prominent though right he becomes more I, of a forefront character in the next one I don't think Aaron Eckhart's in that movie. I think Harvey Dent is referenced. I don't think Aaron Eckhart's in the movie. Hmm. Maybe that's what it was. See, this is where the blurring comes into effect yeah. for me. It's some of those early scenes with him. You know what? It probably is the Dark Knight. But anyway. Yeah, it doesn't uh, look like he's in this. The pencil disappearing thing, of course, is... I thought it was hilarious the first time. Um, and it took them 22 takes and several tables to do that bit. Um, yeah, that tracks three different times. The, uh, the stunt guy was knocked out during oh. those takes. Um, oh no, what they ultimately decided on in order to achieve the trick. And I, re I rewatched this a couple times to see right when it happens, right? When Joker grabs his head to slam him down, the, the, uh, actor puts his right hand down a little bit before his head comes down and swipes the pencil away. I totally just knocked over a bunch of stuff on my desk. I heard it. Because <laughs> you got the that... off. Uh, he, he totally puts his hand down and swipes the pencil away. And obviously you don't see it because the film angle is just right that it's but that's why his arm is kind of off to the side because he had just done that as opposed to um, actually getting 
hit with a pencil or having a pencil Seems that could, uh, I don't know, collapse. I, I really didn't know how they did it. I thought maybe it was just a CGI pencil, but... Uh, they just killed the guy. They, yeah, about that. Uh, and of course, his moment right after that where Joker says, it, if you're good at something, never do it for free. I just feel like there's a lot of quotable moments in this that... This, this movie generated a shitload of memes. I'll tell you what. Yes, it did. And beyond that, it created a frenzy. I, oh, I yeah. feel like Batman Begins, while it was successful in theaters, the Joker was as building on the shoulders of the Batman Begins movie, right? Yeah. This one became iconic. And, of course, it was led by the performance. And as it became a frenzy of joker fanatics right after this well, movie and and especially with heath ledger's death before the movie that just got ground up into the marketing machine whether intentionally or unintentionally yep. that just became part of the the mythology of this film you know? that's that yep absolutely and so it all kind of lends i mean this was 2008 this was right when we graduated this yep. was i saw it right before heading to warp tour that year and sure. while i was at warp was that tour, the year we went together i don't remember uh, we may- went together one year but i don't remember if it was that year or the year i think it was this year so okay if it was maybe this year, year so if it was this year there were several jokers people dressed up in full joker garb for this very hot day i mean it was like 90 degrees outside in downtown detroit and this is outside, there's no water, no air conditioning, no fans really blowing, and it was just hot as hell, and there's these guys in full purple suits and makeup and the green hair and everything, and I'm just like, man, you are committed to this, because, it, and it was probably 10 different ones that I saw throughout the day, all of which were very seriously committed. Um, but the one that I remember in particular was I was I think we were seeing Katy Perry was playing at Warp Tour that year. Sure. And, that yeah, right. And so she was about to perform and she's like talking to the crowd and there was a guy in a Joker get up, got on somebody else's shoulders and I, I for some reason I think it was somebody dressed as Batman. Maybe maybe they were together, I don't know. But he was on this guy's shoulders and he's screaming for Katy Perry so much so that it, she actually broke character and got distracted by this guy as she's trying to give her spiel of whatever song she's about to sing. And, you know, that's like, I, I thought that was hilarious, but it, it just shows how much one point in time can become distorted as a result of some over fanaticism when it comes to this stuff. and. While uh, I personally don't identify with the Joker character and don't understand the obsession with him, I still respect the performance and, and think this is a phenomenal movie. And if given the choice, I definitely would watch it again and again. Uh, I want to ask you a quick question here. Yes. Um, a, thing, a point that I think people have weirdly strong opinions out about because I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I want to hear your take is this versus surf ninjas because you no. don't make me choose okay go ahead no we're, we're that's later 
So, uh, uh, what's the what's the girlfriend's name? Rachel. Dawes, Rachel Dawes, right? Yep. So, first movie, Batman Begins, played by Katie Holmes. Second movie, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, because Katie Holmes decided to go be in a different movie instead and did not want to reprise the role. Yep. Scheduling conflicts. Um, uh, some people feel very strongly about uh Katie Holmes being better or about Maggie Gyllenhaal being better in this role. I don't feel super strongly about either one. What's what's your uh what's your pick here? No, I I don't really feel super strongly about it. I both and, thought they did a good job. Uh, they're both good. Yeah, they're both good for different reasons. Um, I I think it's interesting that Maggie Gyllenhaal's motivation for doing this wasn't that it even was a Batman movie. It was that she got to work with Christopher Nolan and she really liked Christopher Nolan. That sure. was her primary motivation. Um, I, I don't mind Katie at all. I think she, she did fine in Batman Begins. Um, I do find it interesting that Rachel McAdams was also considered for the role and I think I'd almost like to see her in it than huh. either of the other two. I, I really like Rachel McAdams. I think she's very talented. So I think she's also slightly more beautiful than either one of them. And I think that should play a, a factor in when it comes to, to Rachel. But you know, maybe I'm wrong. I've definitely seen Rachel McAdams in more things than I have Katie Holmes. Yeah, I think Katie Holmes is one of those special cases where she was married to Tom Cruise, right, for a, a while. And has maybe, I don't want to say ruined her career, maybe done her career a disservice by no longer being with Tom Cruise. And, of course, as a result, escaping Scientology. So I fully support her decision to run away and to get away from Scientology as a whole. Um, Sure. And if that means her career suffers, then I think she's better off for it. And I don't blame her one bit. She's kept doing stuff. Looks like. I could not tell you the last thing that she Apparently, was in Dawson's Creek. I, met, I saw her in How I Met Your Mother. I've never seen Dawson's Creek. How I Met Your Mother. What what it was she in How I Met Your Mother? Uh, she's the slutty pumpkin. Yeah, I don't remember that. Must have been like a one-off episode. Sounds like a Halloween. She's in episode. three. She's in three episodes. Oh, the slutty pumpkin. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know what? She comes back like way, way later. Yeah, no. Okay, never mind. It, I'll say it's like season one yeah, was whatever. the first appearance of the it's slutty fine. pumpkin. That's largely irrelevant to a show that is also largely irrelevant now. Top Which, 10 sitcoms that have aged poorly. I think we've made that joke already on the show. We probably have. I mean, the amount of misogyny <laughs> in that in that show, which, you know, coming from Neil Patrick Harris, who is a openly gay man I, I do find it a little bit ridiculous he also plays he's, a very similar character in uh harold and kumar go to white castle and have not watched oh great movie uh, except for all the misogyny that uh, was also sh- present throughout the entire movie listen listen comedy films in the 2000s were rough well at the time they weren't now they are looking back man yeah yeah. Hard to go back to. We're we're getting off topic here, right? This let's focus on Nolan here. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Dark, we got, not, we've done we've done my four and five. We've yeah. done your one and five. Five and one, yeah. Let's head to your number four. Oh, you want to go to my number four? Yeah, let's do it. Oh man. Uh my number four is Interstellar. Okay. And did not make my list. That's okay. 
So I and I thought it would not make your list. And it's good. Full disclosure: this movie was so it was released in 2014, right? It's almost mm-hmm. three hours long. I That's did not boy. see this movie until two days ago. Oh, really? Okay, this is the one. This is the one that I had not seen at all. Like, I I knew it existed. I knew I wanted to see it. I just never made it a priority. And then when we were talking about the topic for this, I thought, you know what? Now is the time. I need to see this movie. And I looked, and it happened to be available on Prime. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just go watch it. And I, yeah, I had to piece it together over the course of the day, as you do with uh, busy schedule and kids and whatnot. Um, there's cool stuff in this movie. Th- there's some really cool stuff in this movie. And I, I totally want to watch it again because I think I'll pick up more the second time, which also a pretty common theme for Christopher Nolan movie. Um, sure. But And I think the reason that I picked it to go on my top five, number four here, and I knew you would not have it on yours, was as beautiful as it is, and as nice of a story as it is, it's semi-unremarkable when it comes to what a lot of people consider the Nolan twist or the additional complexity that often gets added to Nolan movies. But for me... Yeah, the big, the big Christopher Nolan moment of this one is a little... Underwhelming? Strange, I guess I would say. Mm, yeah. It, um, it's like... Abstract oh, okay. for sure. The book, the bookcase thing, and I guess getting into spoilers here for Interstellar. Yeah, it's like a weird time travelly, like looking through a space into a through a bookcase in his kid's room. It's it's yeah, weird. It, it is really weird. And at that, I feel point, like it's it's maybe more symbolic than it is anything else. Sure, and at that but, point in the movie, right, he's. He's yelling and trying to get messages across to past self, right. which he knows past self won't listen to because he already lived that moment. So why is he still trying? I thought there was a disconnect there. I mean, I get it. There's he's trying to do right by himself, by his kids. And so the, the main draw for me, right, and the main reason I knew it had to go on my list and some of the reason that I paused the movie was because of the overarching family plot lines and the messaging that resonated with me now more than ever. If I had watched this movie in 2014, I do not think it would be on my top five list. But because I waited and because I now have kids and have, you know, responsibilities and a different perspective on life, watching this movie with that perspective in mind, I mean, it hit home and it hit home hard. And there were, I, like I said, I paused it. There were a lot of different, a lot of different things going on that day. Um, but one of the times I paused it was because I had to stop and reflect because of what was said in the movie, not because I had something else going on. I had to actually like, think about it. I was like, Holy crap. Like, was it the Anne Hathaway speech? Uh, I mean, that was part of it, right? That was, she, yeah, she's talking about the love is the only thing you're capable yeah, that's, of. Tra- that's the specific yeah. part of the movie that fell super flat. For yeah, me. no, that, that, that part was not what I was talking about. I'm talking about 
when Matthew McConaughey's character says that once you're a parent, you're the ghost of your children's future. I was like, damn, that that is a weird way of putting it. And I I really had to stop and think about it because it's it, what it boiled down for me. And I think you see this in the movie as well, right? If you're in a similar situation, would you leave your children and family behind to attempt to save the entire human race without knowing if you would ever see them again? Or would you live out the rest of your days with them knowing that you may abandon the last chance for humanity? Like there's such a dichotomy there. And obviously, nothing in my life is going to come to a decision like that. It's just not going to happen. I, I am not that important. I'm fine with that. I'm not a NASA pilot. I'm not going to space. I'm not traveling through time. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I think I'm too tall to be an astronaut. I think that's one yeah, of the, the, the height requirements is like you have to be 5'10 or under or something. Um, but anyway, the point being, when I watched that and when I reflected on that, it really hit home for me about making the memories now that your children are going to have and carry with them for the rest of your life and not making those little decisions that more than likely in the long run won't matter, right? It's, do you prioritize your work over your kids? Okay, how often? When is it really the most important? Are you going to let your kids interrupt you when you're in the middle of something? Like, just little decisions like that add up over time. And I think, you know, the opening scene in this movie, you see him interacting with his daughter. Several of the other scenes, it's, it's about family. It starts as family. It becomes right. a family-themed movie, and it even ends with family, right? That's what he was trying to get back to. So, I think it really hit home for me. I liked it a lot. I thought the messaging was on point. It made me reflect whether I intended to or not. I wasn't expecting it to be that heavy or from that direction. Um, and then to add on to it, there's some really beautiful scenes in this movie. I thought the story was pretty good. Oh, yeah. The yeah. the final twist is whatever. That's the thing. That's but yeah, didn't didn't quite land for me. But there's like the ocean planet stuff is very cool. Sure. That looks great. I the love Matt the Damon design stuff. of the Yeah. I love the design of the robot. Oh yeah. Ta- Tar super that, unique. That, the big blocky robot. That was very cool. Yep. Um I'm gesturing it, like the robot legs are moving and you can't see that and neither can our listeners. So it's it, it, purely vaguely, for my own benefit. It would be if you took an orangutan or a chimpanzee and maybe put them into just Minecraft blocks. It might look like that, right? Two middle yeah, ones maybe. swinging and then arms moving forward and then kind of similar. And anyway. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I love the stuff I love the most in this movie is like the hard decisions they have to make about yes. like time and how space travel is hard and so cool. You know, like time dilation as you approach the speed of light or as you spend time near something like a black hole. Um, going how like uh, yeah. like the you know the, the the now extremely memed line you know this maneuver is going to cost us twenty five years or whatever, uh, but just the idea that like oh time is passing at different rates for different people and how do you make decisions around that is, is that that stuff in this movie I think is fascinating. 
I I find it extremely cool. Any kind of movie that messes with time like that, but does so in a unique or semi-scientific, realistic way, I realize it's not perfect, right? But they did... How dare you? They did hire physicists to make sure that a lot of the depictions and some of the very specific details in this movie were accurate, right? The event horizon of the black hole, right? Representing it as a sphere, seeing the way that it bends, like the exact angle that it bends and the light and everything, that was all done with the blessing of several physicists. And I, I thought that was really cool. So the the science behind it the time jumps i i really like it in movies when they do that where the perception of time is you know this was an hour for us we came back and it's been 23 years and that guy is like super dejected right is it mm-hmm. R- romilly i think was his name or yeah maybe at that point and he's like He's like, I didn't think anybody was coming back. It's been 23 years. But to them, it was like, well, we, we, we just ran into one problem. And now we're back out here. Like the, that whole sequence, it's like trying to be empathetic to those people. And Matthew McConaughey's character is just like, yeah, whatever. Well, we got to keep going. And like completely ignoring the fact that that guy's been alone for 23 years. And Matt Damon's character being subvertive and evil. And, you know, I thought that was kind of expected, but also not really like the way that it was done. Anyway, it's I thought the planet designs were cool. I thought the spaceship stuff was cool. I thought the whole time space travel, like everything about it was really cool. The ending, I thought maybe wasn't fantastic, but overall, the messaging was great. The visuals were great. The music was great. And I thought the yeah, acting very was good, very good also really good. So um, I liked it a lot. I'll definitely be watching it again, but uh, didn't didn't quite break the top three, but still very, very good movie. And uh, it's a good movie. Yeah. I like it. Didn't so. you know, didn't didn't crack my top five, but I like it quite a bit. Anyway, what's your number three now, I guess? All right, from here, we're going to get into our number threes. But for before that, we're going to go to break real quick. So uh, go to break. Stick around and you can hear us talk about our top threes and then argue about what belongs on the last uh, items here. So stick around, folks. Hey there. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I know we are. Well, I am. I don't know if Josh is, but I am. Hey, but uh, if you have show ideas or maybe some comments, you'd like to reach out to us, you'd like to share your opinions, you should probably email us. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. StupidSequence at gmail.com. So that's S-T-U-P-I-D-S-E-Q-U-E-N-C-E at G-M-A-I-L dot com. I guess there is also a Twitter handle slash X handle slash whatever the hell you want to call it these days. And that's at stupid sequence. Mm, Josh, be honest. Have you ever, you ever checked our Twitter X account anytime in the last, like, I don't know, month. I think the X handle is the name of a keyblade from kingdom hearts. Ooh, you know what? I think you're right. Uh, yeah, I've checked it. 
nobody's interacting with it because who interacts with uh, with Twitter slash X anymore? Am I right? Huh? Uh, huh? Right. Huh? Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Right. This is uh, the bottom line is we want people to reach out to us. We beg for it. We plead. And yet. We are left with nothing. But hey, not that's nothing, okay. Not, I still like having a conversation a with you. Even if nobody else wants to provide feedback. They're probably afraid because they're wrong, and that's okay. But we should move Spotify on. Spotify sent us a happy one-year anniversary. Spotify, thank you for the happy anniversary message. What's your number three, Josh? Hey, Josh. 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 Yeah. What's your number three? Uh-huh. My number three is a little movie from 2010 titled Inception. You want to talk about memes? This is maybe the most memed Chris Nolan movie. And I I know of your feelings on this movie. That somehow, inexplicably, you don't like the movie. Yeah, we have a duplicate here, actually. Um, Because Inception is my number seven. That's We didn't even rank that far. Mm. I did. Spiritually. Okay. You, you may, well, uh, you I'm may attempt here. to defend it. Uh, what a cool movie! This movie's really cool. I really like this movie. It's very fun. Uh, we got all the bending cityscape effects. There's like the shifty, the shifting gravity hallway fight scene. The multiple levels of time dilated music in the dreamscapes. Uh, the incredible Hans Zimmer score. Uh, this movie immediately had a massive impact not only on pop culture but action films for the next decade. You had people talking about the Inception noise as being in like half of every, half of all movie trailers that came out in the 2010s, right before it got supplanted by the sound that is. Are you talking trailer. about oh. the emergency horn noise? The you mean the the yes, yep. That's the that's the Inception noise. Yeah, and they use that in like half of all movie trailers that came out that decade. Yep, essentially. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're somehow not familiar with what Inception is, this movie was absolutely everywhere. Mm. The plot focuses on the concept of using technology that allows people to share dreams to perform something called Inception. If you're able to plant an idea deep enough in someone's subconscious, uh, like it's a, a dreams within dreams within dreams, their waking self will then believe it is their own naturally occurring thought. So. With that as the overall concept, the kind of sci-fi concept to what's going on here, the movie plays out as a reverse heist. The team of individuals with unique skills is assembled, the plan is built, and the heist, quote-unquote, of placing a thought into the target's mind is carried out in sprawling fashion. There's multiple levels of dreams with coordinated efforts between them, um, just different kind of, uh, what, it's like three different levels of, of dream that's playing out in this movie. And then a fourth one added in later on. Uh, there's a lot, a lot going on here. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into the, the 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 plot of this specifically too much because that's not specifically what I love about this movie. Like, I think the story stuff is really fun, mm. but there's just an extremely unique uh, visual style to this movie that I, I think is just really, really enjoyable. And on top of that. What an incredibly good cast we got here. We got Leo DiCaprio. We got Elliot Page. We got Ken Watanabe. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. 
Um, this is kind of a pre-superstardom Tom Hardy. We had talked about Tom Hardy being in being Bane and Dark Knight Rises. Inception is certainly not his anywhere near his first movie choice, but this is like one of his bigger roles in his career up to this point. And it's from here that he it goes on to like Dark Knight Rises and Mad Max Fury Road and kind of becomes a much bigger name. Uh, we got Marion Cotillard, we got uh, Dilip Rao, and um, even more appearances from Killian Murphy and Michael Caine, who mm-hmm. are just in a lot of Chris Nolan stuff, and that's fine because they're great, especially Michael Caine. Well, Michael Caine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sir Michael uh, Caine. The perhaps the perhaps more controversial part of this movie is the ending, um, which is intentionally very misleading and unclear, um, and it left people just fascinated with what is really playing out here for years i'm the type of person where um Mm. as as um a big david lynch fan let's say um the exact nature of the ending not important the idea that what makes it good is the idea that it makes you think about it um and not uh, very hard though miss miss misleads you and which is fun so uh, writing all these notes on this just made me really want to go watch this movie again because I think it's excellent. Hmm. That is 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 that your dislike is of opinion. this movie all wrapped all wrapped around the end? No, no, it is not. Okay. Um, what do you what do you not so like about it? I would agree with you that visually, it is phenomenal. the The wrapping of the cities and the mind bending scapes and some of the epic backgrounds and things that are going on stunning it absolutely brilliant i loved those right great visuals um what i didn't like was the ridiculousness of the entire thing but also on top of that it's layered right there's some very one-dimensional characters i'm pretty sure joseph gordon levitt's character only exists to explain the plot and to advance the story he is a maltese falcon um, and then we have Tom Hardy, who's the badass. D- doesn't really that. That's it. This is the stru- it's the structure of a heist movie, though, right? Yeah. You, you, you in a heist movie, this is which is very much modeling itself after. Is you have these characters that are represented by a defining trait because each one of these characters is bringing a thing to the team. You've got like like an Ocean's Eleven, exact same thing. Yeah, but there's more you complexity. Like there's more complexity to those characters than this movie. And I would so there's a lot of things that I dislike about this movie. Uh but I'm going to save some of them for our discussion about ranking. Um mm, okay. and but I will say the ending right when he spins the top and mm-hmm. it starts to topple a little bit. Um remind me what is the name of the the totem. Thing. totem, yes. Um, it's not his totem. It's not his totem. It is irrelevant. Yep. That's, what, that's what I was what getting it, into. That's what I was getting so into. It's dumb. intentionally misleading. N- yeah, okay. The, the, um, the, the, the mo- I, do you think Christopher Nolan doesn't know that it's not his totem? Yeah, but why? Okay. It, what bothers me about this movie, in addition to several other things, which I'll get into later, right? Because I'll, I'll be nitpicking a little bit, but one of the things that really bothers me about it is the overall wannabe smart hype that surrounded it 
Sure. People, absolutely. I totally mean, this is like, that. this is like the Rick and Morty of movies. That's oh, how okay. I view it. I can't, I can't follow you anywhere near close to that because wow, that's a, no, that's Pe- a whole other bridge here. People watch this movie and think that they are smarter having watched it. Like they're solving some puzzle. And I just, I, I can't agree with that. It is not that complex. There's I, not that much can, going I on here. I can see why. I can see exactly how 2010 Scott had this exact reaction to this. I just cannot get behind this movie. It's entertaining. I don't regret watching it. I don't it's think it's not the I, deepest I, I movie in the overrated. world. Certainly. No, it's overrated. Sir. Just well, it's too... not number one on my list. Okay, fair enough. Or even number two. Are it... you expecting it to be higher? Uh, no, I don't think, I think it's about where I expected it. I knew it would be in your top five. I just think it was overhyped and people get the wrong impression of this movie. It's not that complex. It's an interesting concept, but I also don't think it was that well executed. And I'll get into some of those specific plotline details and concepts that I think you have to want to believe in order for this movie to work. And I just, it falls flat for me. And we'll get to that. I think it kind of goes in hand with the themes of the movie, though, and the uh, the concepts of the dreaming and the implanting ideas into your head and going along with what's presented to you during mm-hmm. the stay. Right. Well, sneak preview: Why is planting an idea in somebody's head supposed to be near impossible? Because people convince each other of ideas all the time. And well, the the the, the special you don't note need to infiltrate dreams isn't to do that so. You can't. The, the special note there isn't that you're just planting an idea in someone's head. It's that you have to implant the idea in its head, and they have to believe without a shadow of a doubt that it's their own original idea. Yeah, but yeah, the film says you can always tell the source of an idea, but that's also not true because plenty of people believe they came up with something that they actually heard elsewhere, but they mix it up with th- sources of other things that they heard, and they start to believe that it's their own thing. Sure, and absolutely. But could you do that? Can common, you reliably very do that to common. someone, though? Sure, but can you personally reliably do that to a target? To an overachieving narcissist like Killian's character was? Yeah, probably. I believe they probably could. But you know what? Let's save that debate because I, I think that is only part of the, the problem with this. We'll, we'll come back to it. I will say, if you have this reaction to Inception, um, I think you are going to truly hate the movie Tenet because any pro- the exact problems that you outline here, that is like the entirety of that whole movie is uh, cool ideas that have literally no substance or meaning whatsoever behind them. It's just stuff that looks cool on the screen and has like a vaguely, vaguely coherent idea of yeah. an overall concept. I don't think you'll like Tenet at all. Yeah, you're probably I right. Thought Tenet, I thought Tenet was okay. I was, I was like, okay, this movie's dumb as hell, but I'm just turning my brain off and going along for the ride, and that's how I enjoyed it. See, but I do that sometimes, right? I mean, <laughs> I watched the Hobbit movies and then got some enjoyment oh, out of those, no. as ridiculous as those were. I, as soon as you stop remembering that they're Hobbit movies and you start thinking, oh, this is a different thing, right? This is, this is a movie that happens to have a similar name. <laughs> Pure entertainment, not factual to the books and ridiculous plot lines anyway we're gonna come back to that uh as as far as tenet is concerned i had read similar reviews of it that it was kind of a cluster f 
not really not really cohesive doesn't really have uh that good of a plot line or story behind it it just feels like it exists to confuse and yeah. if that's there's the a lot case, of cool stuff happening on screen but none of it makes any sense at all if there's literally no way to connect everything uh, or like there's no cohesion to it then yeah i'm gonna struggle with that movie but i'll watch it later and i'll let you know i like john david washington a lot He's I'm gonna the, have to look up main who guy that is. That. I don't remember off the top he's, of my head. He's the main actor. If wow. you've seen Black Klansman, he's the main guy in that as well. Have not seen much, that. much better movie, Black Klansman, than the Tenet series. But what can you do? Well, that's my number three. That's Inception, uh, and a truly excellent movie, uh, indisputably. So, uh, what is your number three? Just looked up John David Washington. I don't know that I've seen anything that he's been in. I'm gonna have to look him up a little bit more. Uh, right. We are talking about, I gotta scroll cause that was at the bottom of my list here. So we're looking at my number two now, right? Because we already Wait, did my number, number three, my number one. Oh, sorry. Oh you're yeah, your you're right. Three. You're right. My number three. Yes. Number three, the 2006 film, the prestige. Hey, that's my number two. Hey, it is a great movie. It's really good. The, Man, I love this movie so much. So do I. Uh, I would say this was, and I'm trying to think, because I I think I saw Memento after The Prestige, and I'm thinking of just general like Chris Nolan movies. This sure. might have been the first. No, I guess Batman Begins was. So since since you've told us all the other movies that you've watched and where they belong on your list, that means your Memento is your number two. Shocking. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I do it out of order. That's uh, that was a nod to Memento. Um, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, number three, The Prestige, right? So I, this might have been the first one where I realized it was a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure this is the first Chris Nolan movie I ever saw. I don't, I don't know. Batman Begins, I think I might have seen before that, and I probably saw it because it was a Batman movie, not realizing yeah, that it was a Christopher Nolan movie. I didn't see Batman Begins until like right before the Dark Knight came out, like within like six months of that movie coming out, I want to say. I mean, I literally watched it right before, but that's right. that was not the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, let me do a quick synopsis of this movie for those who haven't seen it. Right. In the end of the 19th century in London, Robert Angier, uh, his beloved wife, Julia and Alfred Borden, uh, played by Christian Bale, uh, another reprisal are friends and assistants of a magician, and when Julia accidentally dies during a performance, Robert blames Alfred for her death, and they become enemies, both become famous and rival magicians, sabotaging the performance of the other one on the stage, and when Alfred performs a successful trick, very successful, I might add, Robert becomes obsessed trying to disclose the secret of his competitor with tragic consequences. And I, I stole that from IMDb. This is not something I wrote. But that being said, right, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman are the dueling magicians. Scarlett Johansson yep. is one of the assistants. Michael Caine, shocking. Um, David Love Bowie. Love Michael Caine in this movie. Oh, yeah. Michael Caine is beautiful in this movie. Just <laughs> perfect. David Bowie as Tesla, though, might be yep. even better. And- Andy oh Serkis as his assistant. Allie, it's very yeah. surprise, oh, yeah. surprise appearances from both of them. But man, David Bowie as Tesla, what a what a cool, 
what a cool cameo from Bowie there. It's the heterochromia for me. That's really sure. what does it. <laughs> the the two eye colors. Um, yeah. n- not trying to sound condescending to you, just explaining to those who may not know what heterochromia is. How dare is. you? Yeah, well, people say I'm condescending. It means I talk down to others. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yep. So, as with a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, the prestige kind of jumps back and forth, right? A lot across the narrative timeline throughout the, the whole movie. There are a grand total of 146 time jumps in this movie, either jumping earlier or ahead into the future, which on uh, average... Okay, okay. Taking into the account the film's runtime, the Prestige has an average of one time jump per minute. The, I, I get what you're saying with the time jump thing here. A lot of these are a one-second flash to a different scene that we've seen before. Yeah, Tons of movies yeah, do I, that, know, I know, you know, I know. I don't know. I don't know that I would call that a time jump. No, it's not like it's a new scene in a different time period. It's like, oh, look, you remember how you saw that before, right? Yeah, but there, there are a lot there are of time jumps. There are in this definitely movie. other time time jumps that are happening, but the most of it, I feel like a hundred hundred and twenty of those hundred and forty six or whatever are little flashes here and there. Yeah. So okay, yeah, fair enough. I maybe it's a bit of a stretch. That was just a fun fact that I found when I was looking for sure. additional information for this, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, maybe it's bending a little bit um but one thing that is for certain in this movie uh besides the acting being phenomenal the way the movie is structured right it plays out in the same way that the narrative is told so the storytelling matches like the structure and themes because there's the three acts and there's three structures three parts to any illusion Right, so Michael Michael Caine's telling us this at the beginning, right? Right, there's the pledge. I have the whole whole thing here. Okay, go ahead, you do it then. I didn't know if you had the whole thing. Uh, I don't, I just have the name of the three acts. Sure, so he says, every every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. First part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it is indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. But you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's... uh. I can hear it in Michael Caine's voice. He does it beautifully. Um, I don't do a great. I will not spoil this movie. What I will say is that I also pulled back on. I have seen this movie the first time I watched it. There is there is nothing like that first time experience watching this movie. Oh, yeah. And seeing it all the way through and then being like, okay, yep, I need to watch this again. Like immediately Mm -hmm. and you watch it a second time and you're like, how did I not pick up on all these things? And then you watch it a third time and you're like, I missed even more. Like I learned something new every time I watch this movie. 
And I've probably watched it about five or six times. Yeah, probably the same for me. I, I, I truly love this movie. Um, when people ask me is... for movies that are phenomenal, that have a twist or like something that makes them think, this is the, one of the very first movies that I think of. Yeah, I, I think more than anything else of any of the movies that we're talking about today, this is the one that hinges on twist more than anything else. But um, I, I certainly wouldn't view that as a criticism because I think the rest of the movie, there are some movies that if you know the twist going in, it like significantly lowers. Like everything about the movie is built around revealing that sure. twist. I would say like Sixth Sense is very much that 100%. kind of movie where if you know the twist, the twist going into the Sixth Sense, like if you don't know it going in, awesome. But if you know it going in, you're like, okay, I kind of know. Oh yeah, okay. This is pointing that out, and that's why they're showing this is because this is pointing that out and everything. This is not one of those movies to be clear, but I would avo- I would like to avoid spoiling it because getting that reveal, even though the entire movie is not dependent on it, is still really fun. Yes, even if you know it's going to happen, the way it's revealed mm-hmm. or the the thing that leads into it still is like a moment that feels like it's been built to that you maybe weren't expecting. And even though you were, it's hard to explain, right? You, you can't expect the unexpected, but in this case, it's like a little bit mind bending every time. One of the other standouts here for this movie for me is the way that this movie, because it's like, uh, so this is like not a super happy movie, right? It's no. it's about a bitter rivalry between two men over over years. So they trying to ruin each other's lives, you know. Sure. Um, but the way this movie captures like small moments of sadness, um, I think is that's present in a way here that just isn't anywhere in any other Nolan movie. You're talking um, about like like times a lot of writing it, in the diary. Sure, stuff like that, or like um, the moment that most stands out to me is um, the like interactions between Christian Bale's and character his wife. and his yeah. wife. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that. Um, where it's like it's sad. Uh, where, yeah, uh, where uh, she's like feeling that like she he's not reliable or that she that he doesn't love her, um, and it just the way that those moments play out and everything. It's just like you were just watching these these characters just kind of destroy themselves sure. over years. And it's a it's sad, but like the way that the story is structured and the way that it, that all this stuff plays out is just very engrossing. They're way and more committed I, to the uh, act and to what their life represents, like these two magicians versus mm-hmm. what their life could be, right? The potential of a wife or a family. And maybe they do that in, to some extent, but right yeah it's they make some very serious decisions about where their priorities are and it costs them and they i guess they knew that that's kind of that's their decision but i agree with you it's sad even when you know what any of the changes or twists are like it's still you you reflect on it and you're like damn like so the Christian Bale does a phenomenal job, first of all, acting during those scenes mm-hmm. where he's arguing or where he's trying to be loving or um, 
maybe hitting it off with Scarlett Johansson's character, right? There's a lot of dynamics going on here. I, I right. just feel like he did a really good job capturing every bit of every one of those feelings. Yeah, I just I think it's a a truly excellent movie. One I've watched a lot of times. I'm gonna keep watching it more because I love it. And but I love to tell you what, maybe more. We've you know we've done a lot of episodes of the show at this sure. point. Um, coming out of making this list, uh, specifically, maybe more than any any other list you've done on this show. Coming out of making the notes and everything, I'm going like, man, I need to watch like all these movies again. <laughs> They're really good. So this one in particular, I've mentioned to my kids a few times, my older boys, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been on the list of, hey, you should definitely watch this, and I don't think they have yet, yeah. and so I'm. I'm thinking I'm probably going to try to make some time and, and watch it with them. That is, uh, that would, that would be very nice. I think if we could experience that, if I could be in the room when they first see that moment. Sure. I think that would be pretty cool. When they when they reveal that Hugh Jackman's actually Wolverine, that's really a special. <sighs> Damn, moment. I was just about to say he's Darth Vader is his father, but you know what? You ruined it. That's, oh wait, that's, that's a different uh, movie. That's, that's a different right. movie. Okay, never mind. Uh, did you know, and ooh, maybe we talked about this briefly, right? Uh, this movie's based on a novel, right? It is based on a novel. I did have that in my notes. I forgot to mention it. It's the, uh, the 1995 uh, novel, same title from author Christopher Priest. I've not so, read it. So, have not read it either. I do know that Christopher Priest was, I believe, sent a copy of the movie The Following. And maybe Memento. And when he was asking for permission to adapt this movie. And I think it was after he watched those, he was like, he'll do justice by it. I'm going to let it happen. And I have no idea if the book is anything like this movie, but the book, the movie's very good. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe that the book is also, from a storytelling perspective, probably quite good. Um, I do know that Nolan had a tough time figuring out cinematic alternatives to some of the literary devices that were used in the original story, which uh, I don't have an example of, but I found kind of a fun, interesting thing that Nolan had to deal with in the process. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, uh, I would maybe read this. I'm, I'm, I pulled up the Wikipedia page for it, and apparently it's read by an audiobook narrator that I oh, like yeah, a lot. That? So, uh, Simon Vance, I, I know him through, um, he did the, uh, the Lightbringer series uh, of audiobooks. Uh, he was a narrator on those and I like those quite a bit. So my number three is your number two. Is that what we determined yep. here? Yep. So from here, we just have to jump into my number one, your number two, which is of course, Memento. Yeah. I almost made this my number one. Um, but as I was doing the research, I, I argued Dark Knight into, into the spot, but it Memento did start as one. So I'll, I'll jump into it here. Go for it. This is probably a top 10 all time movie for me. Um, and it's arguably the film that really put Nolan on the map as a director. So yeah, the following is his first one. Then Memento was a lot more well known. Um, so this is about a man named Leonard 
played by the incredible Guy Pierce. Uh, early in the movie, we discover that Leonard's body is covered in tattoos, telling them him what has happened to him and what he's trying to do. This is because Leonard has anterograde amnesia mm-hmm. due to an attack on him and his wife. Uh, his wife was raped and murdered while he was only struck on the head. And um, from that injury, he was left unable to form any new short-term memories while retaining his memories from before the attack. So it's not like a total amnesia, who am I kind of thing. It's, it's he just can't form new short-term memories. The way the movie depicts this is essentially his memory resets back to just before the attack every 15 minutes. Roughly, yep. Uh, and boy, I can't imagine living your life that way. How do you do that? That is, uh, a lot it, of that is, so that's, that's kind of one level of this movie, right? Of grappling with what that existence is like. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of one of the, one of the two fascinating halves the aspect of the movie here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part is that the movie plays out in split fashion, chronologically, both forward and reverse. So, so I, bla- it, if I may, sure. uh, because I think I, I found an, an okay way to explain what that means. Sure. If you can imagine the letter U and then you turn it on its side so that the open side of the U is on the left. Okay. The movie starts at the bottom, moving forward in time, right? Following the curve of the U. It goes for, let's say, five minutes. And then it jumps straight up to the opposite end of the U. And it moves forward in time, but from the furthest point in the future. If right. that makes so, sense, right? So, so the bottom you, of the U is the is the furthest point back in the uh, in the movie, and then around as you go all the way around the U, the top point of the U is the furthest point in the future. So you play the beginning, then you play the last scene at the end, and then you play the next chronological scene, right? And then you jump back and forth, approaching the crux on the far right, which is the middle point of the U. Which is where the movie ends, right, right in the middle, technically. Yeah. So you have well, uh, well. Also, the beginning shot of the movie is a photo, as a Polaroid photo of a dead man that you see undevelop. Um. Right. And that is from that middle piece. So there's and there's I, I, there's the 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 two the two pieces that you're talking about here are. There's a black, there are black and white sequences and in the movie and there's color sequences and those alternate back and forth. Right. And the black and white sequences are playing out forward chronologically from the the color ones are playing out reverse chronologically from the future. So it is, um, which sounds incredibly confusing. I know, but there's, there is an infographic on the wiki page that shows you the exact timeline of the movie how it starts at the bottom and then jumps up and then it goes a little bit and then it jumps back down and then it goes a little bit and then it jumps back up and it kind of ultimately meets at that point right on the far right a lot of the experience of this movie is coming to grips with what you're being shown 
yes. and the, the manner of what how it's being shown. So like narratively here, we're not going to dig into too much of what specifically is going on here. But Leonard's goal here is he's trying to find and kill the men who killed his wife. We don't see sure. um, the, the, the movie is during the, the events of this movie, the forward and backward chronological progression stuff. We're not it's not about like the the attack is not happening during that time period. The attack happened some time ago and Leonard is trying to he's just the the purpose that he's tattooed onto his body is you need to find these guys and you need to kill them. Uh, so he ta- yeah. he leaves notes to himself. He gets new tattoos to kind of guide him in a specific direction um, and 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 he's kind of investigating. How do I do this? Uh, you know, how, how do I find these guys? What are the pieces of information that I have available that he has to be reminding himself of by the tattoos every 15 minutes? Yep. Rediscovering his own purpose, his own truth, and his name, what he was doing. I mean, there's, and kind of Nolan's style again, right? the structure of the film being as fragmented as it is, is meant to mirror Leonard's fragmented mind. And it turns out he does it exquisitely. Turns out it's really hard to go after someone and, and find out information when you can't retain any memories for longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, in one scene, right. He forgets what he's doing and he's running and he's like, I'm running. Why am I running? He sees another guy running. He says, I'm, Oh, I must be chasing that guy. And then the guy shoots at him and he's like, oh, he's chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> Got to adapt on the fly here. Yeah, he, he really is. He's tr- trusting those gut instincts to mm-hmm. to survive. And he's trusting his gut instincts. He's trusting and himself. his past self. Yeah, yep. he's trusting that he is acting in his own best interest yep. and that his purpose is untainted. So this movie demands subsequent viewings i don't know that you can watch this movie once and feel satisfied you have to watch it multiple times i more than twice i would think even is mandatory for for me i i watched this movie the first time and i really really enjoyed it i didn't come away from it going like i don't understand i need to watch it again to, to get it um i feel like i got the gist of what they're going for but the movie is incredibly rewarding on subsequent views because there's just a lot more for you to pick up there that you're just not going to have surface there's 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 just your brain for most people your brain is just not going to pick up the relevant details because you don't know what's relevant and what's not relevant yet i found uh, a lot of really interesting uh fun facts about this movie if you want to hear some of those yeah sure uh at one point Teddy leaves Leonard his phone number, 555-0134. It's the same number that Marla gives to the narrator in Fight Club, which came out about a year prior. Um, Filming for this movie was very quick. It lasted 25 days they wrapped filming, which is very, very fast. And I think on a budget of $9 million, it grossed $40 million worldwide. That's not Um, a lot of money for a movie. In 2000, 40 million on a basically oh, a you said, no name. I thought, okay, so it made 40 million. I thought you were, what I was saying specifically is uh, $9 million is not a lot of money to make a movie. No, 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 not at all. 
Um, where is I going? Oh, the uh, composing the score, right? They, uh, the composer, I forget the first name, Julian, created different distinct sounds to differentiate between the color and the black and white scenes. And brooding and classical themes were in the color scenes, and oppressive and rumbly noise were the the motifs in the black and white scenes. So the David forward Julian. chronological. David Julian, thank you. It's funny, I know a Dave Julian. Not the same guy. Um, in 2005, the Writers Guild of America ranked the screenplay number 100 on its list of 101 greatest screenplays ever written. So barely made it on the list, but it, it definitely deserves it. That was in 2005, though. Who knows if it would still make that cut. In 2012, the Motion Picture Editors Guild listed the film as the 14th best edited film of all time based on a survey of its membership. Memento was considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry in 2017, the first narrative feature of the 2000s to be honored, which is, I think, pretty incredible. I mean, it's won many awards. I, we don't need to get into all the specifics because there's a lot of nominations and a lot of awards but it is what uh, the award that i think is um less common but uh, most significant for this movie is that it was praised as one of the most accurate movie depicting enterograde amnesia to date i think I have a of lot the, of movies depicted enterograde amnesia no but it, movies shows it i guess it was more referring to the media because Okay. Other TV shows try to do it. The only other one that I can think of that has even like a remote mention to it is Fifty uh, First Dates. If you remember that movie, sure. Um, kind of a similar thing. Yeah, um, a different structure to it, certainly. Right. But the last thing I'll mention here, and I I didn't know this, and I I don't know that I can test this yet, but there is an Easter egg in the limited edition DVD and the standard Region 2 edition, which allows the movie to be watched in the exact chronological order of the events in the film. The first couple of scenes of the regular cut of the movie appear normal in this version, meaning they are not reversed. However, this version of the movie on Disc 2 is quite difficult to reach. The user must answer several questions and solve a puzzle all while forward reverse and chapter skip capabilities are completely disabled. Oh, weird. Yeah. I've never done this. I didn't even know this was a thing. I might have to go try this. I'm wondering if the movie is as good if it's just chronologically depicted. I have a feeling it's not, because some of the fun of it is... Trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, going between the two scenes, like, okay, now we're back in time, okay, now we're forward in time, like, What's really going on here? And solving that puzzle as you're watching it the first time, I agree. You don't need to rewatch it to understand it, but you are rewarded. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll watch this movie again. It's another one I've mentioned to the kids that we'll definitely be watching at some point. I would say maybe a little darker than Prestige, certainly. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I do want to call out uh, some cast stuff here. Um, I think this is another good cast that's very different than a lot of the other ones. 
is way earlier in Nolan's career, so he doesn't really have the stable of regulars yeah, showing up Cr- in all his movies Christian yet. Bale's so. not in this one. No. So fresh off the Matrix, we have both Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano. Um, you may remember as a cipher in in the Matrix. Carrie Ann Moss is Trinity. Um, yep. He was also we Captain have, Howard in Bad Boys. Of course, I've not seen Bad Boys. Um, or Bad Boys 2. Uh, we have uh, future Sons of Anarchy actor uh, Mark Boone Jr., who is also in Batman Begins, I want to say. Um, and we have noted character actor Stephen Tobolowski in this uh, as another sufferer of retrograde amnesia in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember him most from uh, Groundhog Day. He's Ned Ryerson. Ned? Ned Ryerson? Does he sell oh. insurance? Uh, I don't think... It's funny Maybe you should does. say that because Leonard, the main character, is an ex-insurance investigator. That is true. That is true. Investigating. I don't remember what Sammy Jenkins did. Yeah, I don't remember either. That's, 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 that's neither here nor there. Uh, as far as this movie is concerned, I truly believe it's a masterpiece. Absolutely. Like I it, said, top, top 10 movie all time for me. It makes you think. It is the movie that I recommend to people that want to be challenged a little bit when you're watching a movie. And when after I watched this, I had trouble finding other movies because I kept comparing the movies to this movie. I kept Googling movies like Memento, and guess what? There's not a ton of movies that really measure up. The movie that I've heard compared the most... Um... Uh, what's the name of this movie? Don't that say seven. Not seven. Definitely not seven. Um, it's a more obscure movie than that. Um, shoot, I might just cut this because I'm I'm, I'm totally brain farting on Primer. The movie Primer is um supposed to uh be dramatically more complicated than this movie even is. Hmm. And that's one where it's like you're gonna have to watch this three or four times to even understand what's going on. A lot of weird time shenanigans and stuff in that. I've not seen it, but I've heard that, that there's some similarity there. Good to know. I think I've been recommended that movie as well. Have not watched it yet. Hasn't been recommended by somebody that I trust yet. <laughs> but if you haven't watched it, then I don't know that you're a trustful source in that either. I'm not recommending it because I haven't seen it. Fair enough. But I'm not not I'm not not recommending it because you haven't seen it. I am recommending Memento. Yeah, you should watch it if you haven't. We haven't spoiled it. And I think even if we had, I don't think it would matter. I think you could watch this and you'd probably experience a little bit of a mind F. Memento. Great movie. Go watch it. Watch it today. Right now. Well, after after you finish listening to this episode of the podcast, then go watch it. I wholeheartedly condone that. All right. Well, we're going to take another break here. Now that we've covered our top fives, um, our, 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 our whole list, since this is just the fives here, we're going to take a break again. And then we're going to come back to argue about uh, what order do these belong in on our, uh, we're making a top five here. So Oof. stick around folks. Welcome back, folks. 
if you made it this far, then you're probably enjoying yourself at least a little. In which case, an honest rating, review, or simply referring a friend would go a very long way to help get the word out. Thank you for listening. And now we will move on to the next phase. We're going to briefly discuss any other additions we may have, but I'm pretty sure there aren't any. Yeah, I think we kind of covered everything. No honorable mentions this week. Yeah, how can well, you have an honorable our, our mention honorable, if you haven't yeah. seen it? Oppenheimer? Our, Oppenheimer's an honorable mention because I hope to see it and I have a lot of promise that it's, it's pretty good. Our honorable mentions list is going to be properties worked on by Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan. Uh, we're going to talk about the show uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I believe you worked on that. Small problem. I've watched one episode of that. Or is that Joss Whedon's brother? It might be Joss Whedon's brother. Problem resolved. <laughs> yeah, it totally wasn't him. I'm totally wrong. Person of interest. That's the one in Westworld. Mm. Anyway, why don't we... Anyway. Why don't we... Uh copy paste do some stuff in here in our our shared google document and see if we yeah. can come up with a top five list yeah and, uh, yeah i'm just gonna throw this out there right now probably can put memento at number one really you're gonna see dark knight right off the bat huh uh yeah I am because it's your number one it's my number two and it was my number one prior to finishing my notes so i'm gonna trust my gut instinct and okay i i it's really not that big of a stretch to say that memento is is a number one movie and i feel pretty good about that I, what i can say is that between the two movies dark knight even though it's a superhero movie i believe it has more mass appeal than Memento. Oh, absolutely true. There's gonna, Memento is not a movie for everyone. Um, mass audiences not clicking with Memento the same way they did with Dark Knight, certainly. Um, you know, I met, obviously Dark Knight is an established property, so you're going to get a certain amount of people with that, but even then, a lot of people just aren't going to be on board for the type of, like, I, I can't show Memento to my grandma. She's not going to enjoy it. No, that that would make sense. Well, we have that being said, four more slots and f six other movies here. We've got the Batman trilogy, uh, Interstellar, Inception and the Prestige. Right. So I think Prestige is going to be on this list. I think Prestige. I think we can. I'm going to move on our shared Google Doc here. I'm going to move these over so I have a little more room. I'm going to move the prestige over to, yo, this is on the list for sure. Um, I think we could say the Dark Knight is on this list for sure. Anything that's on both of our lists, right? Since we're just doing a top five, I think anything on both our lists kind of automatically making it, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. those three. There are two that we don't have over a lot. Uh, so then the, the four remaining are only on one or the other of our lists inception batman begins interstellar dark knight rises um i don't i don't think dark knight rises is making this list i don't think inception's making this list 
we'll, we'll talk about Inception. I think we can very mm. easily say though, Dark Knight Rises. You don't even feel strongly about Dark Knight Rises. Um, nope. since we have to cut. Well, here's the thing: we have to cut two, right? We have three. We have okay. We have two more slots, and we have to cut two. I think we yeah. can safely say we cut Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and Inception. I don't think we cut Inception. It's the spiritual number six. I'll, it's an excellent. I'll it's an excellent it. movie. It's better than Interstellar. No, definitely not. It's a, a, it's dramatically better than Interstellar. No, no, it's not. Inter- Interstellar is like a solid like three and a half stars. Maybe four. I'm feeling generous. Some really cool stuff in it. This, listen, the Anne Hathaway speech about love is very corny. That is one very minor part about the thing that you can largely ignore. Um. I, I will say I, I came out of I came out of um, Interstellar going. I liked this. I had a good time with this. I watched. I went to. I saw that in a theater with people who came out of the movie going. We hated this movie. We did not think it was good. Um, which was an interesting experience. Um, so uh, yeah, I I I I do want to be clear. I like all of the movies that we're talking about here. Dark Knight Rises maybe just okay. Um, mm. I like Interstellar. I think it's good. I don't. It's better than Inception. I don't think so, it's top five. Right. So the the whole scheme in the film, right, in Inception, right, mm-hmm. is implanting an original idea in someone's head. That's yep. that's the bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. That they have to believe is right. their original idea. And somehow doing that is a magical, all-powerful thing, right? Because I don't. I wouldn't it, say all-powerful. Certainly, well, they, they're on. very clear. They're very clear as the movie goes on. Is we're going. We're trying to make this work. We're going to plant this idea. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that works. We don't know that it's going to work. It might just not take. And once it's implanted, it's concrete and unshakable, right? Because. You ever wake up from a dream and you're like, man, this idea, this concept that I've been dreaming about, you know what? I better not think about it more in my waking time, because what if I flush it out and don't like the idea anymore? I just I find that the idea of planting dreams is so ridiculous that I I, I wholeheartedly disturbs. No, it disturbs the rest of the film for me. For me. I, have you never had the experience where you've had such a vivid, such a very specific concept come across to you in a dream that it just sticks with you? You just can't get it out of your head, whether that is um, I've had that happen with like storytelling ideas. I've had that happen with like um, physical sensations um, in a dream. I've had that happen with just a bunch of different things that can happen. And like there are things um in like 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 if you want to talk about like physical sensation there's like a specific recurring dream that i have had that is i couldn't tell you how many times i've had it but it's like a specific type of falling sensation or like the the, the teeth falling out of your head dream that people can have right um never had that i know i not everyone's had it but it's it, it is a dream that people have right um there are physical sensations that I've experienced in dreams that I've never experienced in real life 
that I can immediately call to mind right now as we're having having that conversation and in my brain know exactly what that feels like despite never having experienced it because I experienced it in a dream. Have you never had an experience like that? Because mm. I certainly have. I've had that a I mean, numerous amount of times. There I, are there are physical places that I can call to mind that I've never been to, places that do not exist that I could tell you the exact depiction and layout of because I've dreamed about them. Mm. Nope, nothing like that. Most really? of my recurring dreams. Well, actually, there's only one recurring dream that I can really think of, and they both take place in the, the home that I grew up in. And so it's not. It, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a recurring dream, but I I, I do want to make clear. Just because you personally haven't experienced this doesn't mean this is a concept that doesn't exist. I agree with you, but I think the whole concept of implanting an idea into somebody's subconscious so that their literally their entire life could somehow be 100% modified as a result of that is ridiculous. Sure, is that like, but uh, uh, like. Scott, Literally we're talking about, selling we're talking his about movies. We're, we're talking about movies where all kinds of ridiculous. You accept movies where ridiculous things happen all the time, right? Where completely absurd concepts happen all the time. Sure. Right. Well, like kids that were adopted become ninjas that surf, like something like that. Sure. That premise it, it, is not ridiculous. Let's be clear. There, right? there, that happens there are, every day. There are, you know, in the suspension of disbelief for, for me, the, the, my, my general rule with suspension, suspension of disbelief when I, what I can look past and what I can't look past is does the movie have its own internal consistent, does the story, this isn't necessarily even a movie thing, does the story that I'm being told have consistent logic to it? Um, no. Are they consistent with their own types of storytelling here? No, including when the mo- when the story is intentionally misleading to you, the person experiencing the story. Okay, then I would argue Inception is well, then let me bring up this next point, right? So mm-hmm. reality, right, is where rules are rigid and known to all dreams mm-hmm. are where anything is possible, right? But an example being that two minutes here is equivalent to 20 minutes there. Okay, fine. I can, I can get on board sure. with that. Sure. Yeah, uh, time, di- time dilation happens in a movie you like, Interstellar, we just talked about. When you get wet here, it rains there. Sure, I can believe that. When you fall here, there's no gravity there. Mm, okay, but... It's that sensation of weightlessness, right? They break that rule within their own thing because they go the next layer down and suddenly there is gravity again. Your, your, uh, your conscious mind at that point is not connecting with the level of what's happening two levels above you. But if there's no gravity in one level above you, then the weightlessness means that your inner ear is not working and therefore gravity should not work either. So it's intermixing. But consider the following dialogue, right? They said, we have to get there in 16 minutes. And they said, but it was designed to take an hour to get there. And then they said, okay, you must find a more direct route. They're literally in a dream. 
what is to stop them from being there right now? Why isn't there it's, a magical path, right, that they created? It just seems ridiculous that they have to solve these problems within dreams that are well, there, there's mostly a certain non-existent. Amount. They they talk to, they talk about this a certain amount, right? It's not their dream. There's a limited amount of control you have over not your own dream. They're very clear, very explicitly in a different person's dream. They're not in their own dream. Okay, so dreams and dreams and dreams are just dreams, but does a dream figment have to wake wake it up when it when he falls? Right when the guy falls, does does he have to be woken up or? Does the fall itself wake him up? Because if the reflex of waking up is caused from a sensation of free falling, then in zero gravity, everyone should wake up. And so for the same reason, people in the van should have woken up when the van leaves the bridge and attains free fall, not when it hits the water. And for the sake of argument, let's assume that the subconscious mind kind of works much faster than the conscious mind. But what, pray tell? causes the compounded effect. A dream in a dream is just a product of the subconscious mind, so not a method for lightning speed thought processes. So what well, causes I, that? So I think you could, th there's a certain amount you have to give to like, hey, they're doing a narrative structure here. If you could do a dream within a dream in real life, would time dilation work the way that it does specifically in this movie? Who could say? This isn't a thing that's real, right? They're, they're making up a narrative device. I don't know why that's a problem. Okay, they so said, th here's a way that this works. That's fine. Except they're not consistent with it. If the free fall is what actually wakes them up, then they should have woken up while they were free falling off the bridge, not when it hits the water. And the totems, how, how do those work exactly, right? People can't... It doesn't matter. Who cares? Wait, people can't dream up a toppling spinning top? Like, that's not a, a thing that can happen. They can steal passports, but not loaded dice? No? I think you, you have a very bad faith argument happening here where you're not willing to engage with a story on its own terms. And see, but that's the thing. I feel like the story displaces itself enough that it, the inconsistencies become frustrating. And... And I don't care enough about any of the characters. I think the motivations, like the overall motivations of Leo's character, whose name I forget, but his overall motivations should be to get back to his children, right? Because at this point, his wife has passed and his children are what matters. They're in reality. He should be trying to get back to them. But that's not really how he's being driven in this story. Maul is the driver in the story. Right. Just, but, just because someone should have a motivation doesn't mean they act on what they should. That's how humans work. Hmm. Which is why you have to implant this idea in the base of their dreams so that four layers down, they can come to the realization that my dad did love me and I should sell the business. I don't know. I just, it, something's missing here for me. And the the pacing of the movie feels frustrating it's frantic the oh i couldn't disagree with you more on that wow really yeah i think that the this movie is engrossing from start to finish there is no. stuff happening feels like it's they're keeping... rushing okay i do think it's interesting that of all the different things that they could dream up within a dreamscape 
that nameless, faceless military is like the one go to for any and all action. And they just kind of arbitrarily show up to, quote unquote, be the militia to protect the mind. But it, it just feels like every time they show up, it's just a convenience to have more action and another action I, scene. I don't know that we have that described in anyone else as that's the way it is in anyone else's dreams. Because the stuff that we see, the places we see them show up are specifically within one guy's dreams. And it would make sense, narratively speaking, that within one person's dreams, that is the reliable fallback that happens, right? Okay. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, so if, if, if you know, if you, your fear argument here is that, what, oh, it doesn't make sense that, or it's convenient, rather, that faceless military guys would always be the opposing force that shows up. That makes sense if it's all in one person's head, right? If it was this, if the rule in the, the universe of Inception was that every single person, if you tried to do Inception on any person in the world and the, the forces that oppose you when you tried to do that are always faceless military guys, I think that's weak. I think that's weak storytelling, but the movie doesn't establish that. The movie establishes this is what's happening in this guy's head. And it, that being consistent within one man's one man's brain, that makes sense. Just but if they're saying, okay, Maul's, his, his, uh, uh, Leo DiCaprio's wife, that's what's happening in her dreams also. Okay, that's a little weird. If it's, uh, if it's in Leo DiCaprio's dreams, then that's what happens to him also. Okay, that's weird. If it's every person in the world, okay, that, that is... I, I think you could write something more interesting than that. I don't necessarily know that it is a plot. I wouldn't call it a plot hole, but I would say, okay, you could have made a more interesting choice here. Yeah, just, I don't know. Maybe I, that narrative choice didn't land for you. That's okay. It doesn't mean it's a plot hole. doesn't mean the story's inconsistent. It just didn't land for you. No, it's just, yeah, just kind of boring. I don't know. The, the, the general feel that I get is that I don't really care about any of these characters. Even the relationship between Leo and his wife, Maul. I just, I just feel like she's an inconvenience that just shows up and that that's just part of the story. Not that I really care about him being back with her or deciding that he's going to get stuck in these dreams. And I, I just, I didn't really care about any of the characters, to be honest with you. And For I me, realize this is, this is I would I would agree with you in that I, this is not really a character driven movie. Not at all. Um, in the in the way that it's it's different in, I would say, most to all, I mean, not not so much some of the Batman movies, but most of Nolan's other movies are a lot more character driven than this one is. Um, but like the the whole the, what Maul is less of a character and more of a uh, more of a narrative device. Sure, I'm with you on that. But I think the concept behind the character of this guy is so haunted by this thing that's happened to him, and we you know this is an established thing that happens with humans is people are haunted by thing traumatic things in dreams, right? Um, I most most humans have experienced this. The, the traumas from the real life show up in dreams. Um, this man's so haunted by this that when you start translating the layer of dreams that we currently experience into a more 
purpose-driven thing you can actually interact with and guide your way through in a very sci-fi way. Narratively, it makes sense that this thing that he's so haunted by is going to continue to manifest because he just can't get away from it. He can't get away from those feelings. He can't get away from this idea. And so it just keeps coming after him. I think that's su- that's a super fascinating idea narratively. I'm just I'm I'm struggling here to to care about this movie. That's really the bottom line here. That's fine. I, mean, I think what, I and and, what, and the thing I want to argue the main mission of the entire movie, right? Invading the dreams so that they can break up that financial empire. That's right. the whole goal. But at any point in that movie, did you care whether they succeeded or not? Was no, that who cares? Ep- it's not a, it's not important. How is that okay? That's not okay. Yeah, sure it is. There's plenty of movies that like whether or not the characters succeed is is not uh so the story my, my doesn't enjoyment. matter. No, it's that's just, different. That's a the different, story exists just so that statement. they can explain what an inception is. No, that's a different that's totally not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that not every single story, my enjoyment of every single story is not dependent on whether or not the protagonists are successful or not. I can still enjoy a, I can still enjoy a story where the good guys lose. Absolutely. I'm not asking if they were successful or not. I'm asking if you even cared if they were successful or not. I mean, you're rooting for the character. I, 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 to my experience, I would say I'm rooting for the characters, but seeing, you know, uh, Seeing the things that they go through, seeing the the experience of these characters matters way more to me than did they check the box that they were trying to check. But even the experiences did not feel meaningful. They did not feel like I actually care about the results of this one way or the other for better or worse. And to be honest, I don't even I, I barely remember what the result was. It's sure. I, uh, there I, was a I, minor thing that happened right at the very end. The thing I want to make clear here, I am not arguing that you are wrong because you didn't like this movie. This movie didn't land for you, and that's totally fine. What I'm arguing against is this movie is not like broken. This movie isn't like a completely nonsense story. Like the movie just didn't land for you, and that's okay. No, I'm fine for that. And I think in some ways people would say the same thing about like Avatar, the blue people, Avatar, James Cameron. Sure. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, Avatar for me is a movie that just didn't land for me. Right. It like visually, absolutely hundred percent. Wow. What an incredible looking movie. Everything they're doing the story. Who cares? I could not care less about any of these people or their weird blue hair sex or, or, I, I cared about the, the, the mech with the big knife. That was cool. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to see what that thing was up to. Wings. Yeah. And then, you know, um, but so visually, wow, what an experience narratively. It just didn't land for me, but some people super landed for, right? Some people it was super meaningful to them. And, you know, maybe people who hadn't experienced that kind of a story before I certainly had, it's an extremely derivative story. Um, but for a lot of people that landed square for them, I'm not, I don't think avatar is a bad movie. I think it's an uninspired story, but, um, but there's, there's things that that movie does well. You know, I'm, I'm not here to say like nothing in avatar makes sense or, uh, but it's not, no, I'm fine with all that. I, I guess the bottom line for me, yes, I agree with you. It didn't land, but 
in almost every other Christopher Nolan movie that I've watched, I got something out of it. I enjoyed the story and I felt like it was worthwhile that I understood what was happening. And and beyond understanding what was happening, I felt like it served a purpose. This movie felt like it served no purpose to me. And that at the end of the day, I I wasn't confused because it was difficult to understand. I was just like, why do I care? And why do I even, what is there to even understand? And you've already admitted that there is nothing to understand. And that's the complexity of it. But that's not an answer. You can't I, I, just okay. be complex for the sake of being complex, right? There's really I nothing I to say here. I didn't say there's nothing to understand. I said my intent was, let's say, my intent was that Inception is way less of a movie where any specific thing that happens matters. It's more of an ideas movie. It's more of this movie is throwing stuff up into your face that is making you, for me anyway, it's making me think about like, wow, what are the implications of this? If things worked this way, what would that mean? What could you do? Um, and wrestles with some interesting ideas around that stuff. The stuff that plays out in this movie is some of the things that you could do in this sort of scenario. But what it makes me think about, it made me think about in my first situation is like, what other scenarios could play out if things really worked like this? What could be done? What would that mean on a larger scale? And that is that's interesting for me. It's not what the movie's here to talk to talk about necessarily. Um, could they do a movie about that? Maybe. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm not um, arguing the, that the movie itself wasn't just rough. Like the, the concept isn't entertaining, right? I agree. The concept is entertaining and there's value there. I think that the movie itself as a result though, was not great. And it only existed to display the concept of inception. I, 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 I fundamentally disagree with, with your statement there. Um, but you know, I just like this movie a lot more than you do. You know, I think, I think that's what the big thing with the big difference here boils down to. Hmm. Didn't land for me. I think we've established that. And I don't think this conversation is going to change my mind. I I've watched it more than once. I get it. I understand the movie. It's an interesting concept. I just don't care. Tell you what we're going to do for now. Let's 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 shelve Inception. And we're going to move that to if it lands on the list, which is a big if, right? It will be at number five. I think we can safely say that. With it, regardless of what decision we're going to make overall. Let's put a pin in that for now. Okay. So let's look at Prestige and Dark Knight. I think we can safely say are going to be two and three in some order. What mm-hmm. are your feelings on this? Feelings on what? What order uh, for Prestige and Dark Knight are you looking at for you? Well, I, I think Prestige would go after Dark Knight for me. Dark Knight was number one. So sure. it would follow that Prestige would be. And I've already conceded that Memento is That's fair. between the two of us the clear number one. I get what you're saying there. Uh, what about, um, you know, Interstellar is higher on your list than Batman Begins. You, didn't, you did not. Batman, Batman Begins did not click as well for you. 
and you know that 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 is ranked higher for me than the dark knight is certainly mm. um definitely and, I, and i've watched batman begins actually more recently than i have not it's been a dark long time knight. since i've watched batman begins i have seen oh. dark knight more recently watched it with my son a couple couple months ago he was on a batman kick and he was going to watch the trilogy we started with that one we haven't got to dark knight yet one of my the the thing I kind of wrestled with with Batman Begins and Dark Knight is I I think I like Batman Begins more than I you know, said I'd like to Batman Begins more than Dark Knight overall, but that's less because there's a lot of things I really like about the Dark Knight or about um about Batman Begins, but there isn't. I try to think of the right way to phrase this. There isn't, th- there aren't things about it that I specifically think that it does exceptionally better than the Dark Knight. I think more what my argument is is I have more problems with the Dark Knight than I am. I'm more passionate for Batman Begins, if that makes sense. So I'm not coming at Batman Begins going like, I love this, this, and this about. Batman begins that it does differently than Dark Knight. I think it's more I'm coming at it more from an angle of I they're, they're both really <clears throat> good. You're just deducting well, points for a couple of things from Dark Knight. Sure. Um the, there's there's things for things in Dark Knight that bother me. There's specific moments in Dark Knight where I get to where I feel bummed out that I'm at this part of the movie where it's just an experience I don't have in Batman Begins. Um but I do think Dark Knight does hit higher highs in places i guess roundabout way of what i'm getting to is of the movies that we are talking about on the list i am not super passionate about batman begins i really like that movie um and but i i think i have stronger feelings both positive and negative about dark knight so if we're gonna let one of my movies slip here I think I'm okay with releasing Batman Begins off the list because it's the movie on the list that I'm the least passionate about. Hmm. If That's that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I favor Batman Begins over Inception. I think that's been established. Um, right. So if if what you're saying is accurate, then are you slotting interstellar in at four? I, I would be willing to seed Batman begins off the list interstellar at four inception five. And what of I the feel prestige and dark Knight order? If you want to have dark Knight at two and I get inception on at five, let's do it. I'm okay with it because I, I I feel like we talked we talked already the Heath Ledger Joker truly incredible. I love that movie. There's moments in it I don't care for, but I I I love the movie overall. Um, I do like the Prestige more than the Dark Knight certainly. Um, but uh, I I feel a lot stronger about all of those movies of these movies on this list i have stronger feelings except maybe interstellar but the other the other ones i have stronger feelings about all of them than i do about batman begins it's just that some of those strong feelings are negative 
Hmm. Interstellar, a movie that I, I, like I said, I came out of really enjoying. There's some really, really cool moments in that. The, I, the, the family stuff that you talked about that really hit hard for you. I, I can't say hit the same way for me. Um, and I think one of the, my main negative sentiment I had coming out of interstellar is it felt really sappy for a Chris Nolan movie, a big, a big component of that is that Anne Hathaway speech about the nature of love for sure. Cause that is like the sappiest thing that's ever been in one of his movies. Yeah. Um, I, I ignored that. part. Uh, I was like, okay, Anne Hathaway, calm down. But, but the general tone is, and, and I'm not saying like, like sappy means different things to different people. It lands differently for different people. It hit you in a more personal spot. The, 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 the family, the more, the more family focused things with your kids. Um, hit, hit you in a lot more personal spot than it did me. Me, it came across a little cornier, but I can totally see how that landed differently for you. Well, uh, to quote Leonard Shelby in Memento, I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. And so I will accept your terms and allow Inception to be five. I acknowledge that for a large portion of people who have seen this movie, it was phenomenal and entertaining and they loved it. But for me, I just, it didn't land. And I'm willing to accept that it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It's just not my cup of tea, per se. I really did not expect our argument here to end with only one Batman movie making it on the list. Very surprising. Hmm. Batman begins is better than Inception. I mean, if you want to slot that right into five and nope, move Inception nope, down, nope. then do not do not want to. We can subvert your do expectations. Not want to. <laughs> great movies. What a great list of movies. It, it is a really good list. And to be clear, when people ask me about Inception, mm-hmm. I usually tell them, if you haven't seen it, watch it once. Form your own opinion. But it's not my my movie. I don't sure. I, I would I would probably say similar things about Avatar. Right? Is like, hey, oh, the blue Avatar. I think, I think, no, I yeah, tell blue, people blue not Avatar. to watch it. I'm like, if you blue didn't Avatar. watch it in the IMAX, right? Then don't bother. Yeah, seeing the I, visual I, I think, world. I think it's a visual. I think it's a visual experience. Yeah, you have the story. To have nothing to write screen. home about. No, the story is recycled from. A Dances number of other stories. A million other things. Dances with Wolves, Pocahontas, Fern Gully. I'm pretty sure this was Fern Gully with Blue People. Top 10 most derivative movies. Top stories? 10 worst derivative movies. Hmm. Okay. Avatar. Definitely on that list. It, it's up there. I just, I remember watching it going, that was really cool and then afterwards somebody's like well which character did you like and i could not name a character because jake that, sully who that's that's uh the main guy's name i can't think of the it's actor's not sam name. sam worthington is the actor jake sully oh is my the God. character i was thinking his name was i sam. don't that's the char- think oh, it's i the can actor. name 
any other characters. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, I was going to say. I like Sigourney Weaver a lot. Oh, she's great. She doesn't Ooh. do a lot of that movie, but she's great. Top 10 Sigourney Weaver roles. Okay. Okay. We actually, we might be able to pull that off. That? Uh, I will entertain this idea. Well, let's talk about it later. Yeah. Um, so I guess that being said, we've, we've completed our list. Do you want to run it back? Yeah, I'll run the list back here. Uh, I guess we'll say, since we talked about seven movies here, honorary numbers seven and six, respectively, Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins. Uh, number five is Inception. Number four is Interstellar. Number three, The Prestige. Number two, The Dark Knight. And number one, best Christopher Nolan movie is Memento. I have, I have to watch most of these movies. I don't know that I need to watch all of the Batman movies again, but I, I think I need to rewatch all these other movies sometime mm-hmm. in the next several months. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I actually don't hate this list. I think it's probably pretty similar to what I would recommend to people. Like, you know, just in general. If people ask me which Christopher Nolan movies do you like, I'd probably name all of these movies. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter the order, I think, from that perspective. It's he's he's very talented and he's a good filmmaker. Has produced has directed several films that I have enjoyed. So I have not flat out disliked any of his movies. Dunkirk didn't land for me. I didn't watch it yet. But it's beautiful. Guess we got to go back and watch Following in Insomnia. I, I actually might yeah, make it my at mission some point. to uh, at some point to complete the, the collection here. Hmm. I'll have to think about that one. Christopher Nolan. Very talented. Thank you for making Big movies. Fan. Maybe a little bit too obsessed with the theater going experience. Uh, but you know, he makes good mm. movies. Yeah. He did bring back the format of interstellar or of, uh, IMAX, right. For some of his movies. That was, that was kind of his uh, thing. I saw interstellar and IMAX and, and he did the big crazy ultra IMAX thing for, for Oppenheimer, which mm-hmm. I've not seen, but interstellar looked great in IMAX, man. That was very cool. I bet. I'd love to do a rewatch of that huge screen. In your home IMAX theater. God, I wish I had one. That'd be awesome. Expensive. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. But worthwhile. All right. Well, we've done it. We've done it again. We, against all odds, have created a combined list of some of the best movies that have ever been created. Movies that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I may not have even realized were Christopher Nolan because I didn't understand how important the director was to the success of movies. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention to directors when I was 14. No. Like 17? Sure. 14? No. No. And now it's going back and looking at some of the movies that I love and I'm like, Man, these are all Steven Spielberg movies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of Jurassic Park? Yeah, right. 
Jaws. Oh, that's a movie. Yeah. He's uh, he's he's done a number of uh, things. So anyway, but there's a reason we didn't select him for this episode, and uh, now we can comfortably say that we since we've done this, no, we can we can thank the people, thank the folks for listening in to our arguments, for hopefully enjoying the conversation. Got a uh, got a little heated there for a little bit, and but uh, if I was arguing in bad faith, I don't want to hear about it. Don't at me. Our <laughs> next episode, uh, you know, keeping that same kind of schedule. And but, Josh, do you uh, do you want to tell the people what our next episode will be? It's, yeah. So uh, since since this one lengthwise uh, really got away from us <laughs> in some ways, turns out um, we had a lot you know, to say. Like we like we broke in at the beginning of the podcast to talk about, um, we're going to split off the Christopher Noll or no, sorry, we're going to split off the Quentin Tarantino discussion for next time. But we've already decided the time after that because we thought the time after that was going to be the next time. So the next two podcasts out, uh, we're going to be talking about the best inventions invented between 1900 and 1950. What does best mean? We're going to have to figure that out. Most culturally important oh did we talk about did we say did i write down the wrong thing did we say culturally insignificant i think we did okay i'm wrong i'm wrong i'm an i'm a fool i I wrote i wrote the wrong thing down i think you did so in fact our topic will be the most culturally significant inventions between 1900 and 1950 the first i guess 51 years technically of the decade give or take yeah yeah, it's some. Uh, it's, it is a heady time for inventions. Or excuse Perhaps me, the century. As... Did I say the decade? Oh my god! You did god. say the decade. We're both talking wrong things here. I, I heady, was thinking we were going to do a decade episode, but okay. You know what? This is compounding. We are clearly losing our minds. Oh my god! You planted something in my dreams that made me believe that a decade and a century were the same thing. I've been incepted. Your brain is just forever broken now. Forever incepted. Is that a word? Incepted? I think it is. It's like the past tense of incept. Sure. Said it. It just sounds wrong. I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino next time. And then the time after that, we're going to talk about inventions. And then the time after that, who knows? Maybe we'll have a guest episode. We don't know. Been a, been we a haven't minute. thought that far ahead. Yeah, that's accurate. We'll keep recording these. We'll see what happens. Podcast. But until next time, I've been Scott. I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. That's folks, F-O-L-X. No, God, why? Folks. I hate that I ever brought this up. F-O-L-X-S. That's even worse. The Y is silent. (laughs) That's even worse. There we go. Is there anything else? I think we hit it all. We've we've recorded this episode in a memento-like fashion.
<laughs> where we're rapid, we're wildly out of order, and I'm gonna have to edit a bunch of stuff into weird places. 